Gee, I'm tired of platformers. I know Nintendo has great Mario games, but I want something different. Oh man, have you considered a Sega Genesis? Home of Alter Beast and Streets of Rage? Those will definitely give you something different. Nah, both of those kicked me down and knocked my teeth out. Besides, I'm playing Sword of Vermilion, so I know better than to try a Sega RPG. Maybe you need something new and improved? Try this one out, on me. So we'll see if it makes you a Sega lover yet. son of ours. He's been closeted in his room all weekend, and I need some chores done! I think he's been playing some new game. It must be pretty good to make him ignore everything else, right? I hear he's talking about elves and centaurs and birdmen. Is that why he was yelling at a flying jellyfish last night? Never mind, then. Every time he talks to things that aren't really here, we just have to wait it out. This thing has a pretty good name, but I can't remember what it is, and he won't bring us the game so I could check. Maybe Glowing Group? No, that's not it. I'll remember eventually, though. Mom, are you okay? Mom! Come with me if you want to live. Theorizing that one could travel within their own lifetime, two old RP Gamer staff members stepped into the RPG Backtrack Time Accelerator and vanished. They woke to find themselves trapped in the past, playing and talking about computer and console RPGs from the 80s right up to yesteryear, driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. Their only guides on this journey are other staff and players from RPGamer.com who they meet to help record podcasts that only their audience can listen and hear. And so, Phil and Mike find themselves leaping from game to game, striving to put right gaming backlogs gone wrong, and hoping each time that their next recording will be the one that leads them home. Welcome to the RPG Backtrack. Here are your hosts, Phil Willis and Mike Minky. And welcome to RPG Backtrack, our explosive, our celebratory 100th episode, A Light to Brighten the Darkness. I am Phil Willis. And I am Mike Minky, the guy who chose the topic, and... What do you know? We're going to talk about some fun stuff tonight. Oh, yeah. And to help us talk about some fun stuff are Cassandra Ramos and Mr. Michael Apps. Hello, everybody. Hello. Are you two ready? Are you stoked? Are you pumped? Oh, I'm ready. You, mm -hmm. you know, when we started, when Mike and I sort of took the helm of this about 90 episodes ago, because we took over episode 10 or 11 or something, um, and I started doing the production and had to save the files, and you come up with a name for the file for the MP3. I did, uh, I do like RPG backtrack. I think I just do backtrack. And I did 010. I left that third digit in there as an empty zero or a holding zero, whatever you want to call it. Because I knew one day we just might, might come to this beautiful day where we talk, we do our 100th episode. How awesome is that? That's foresight. That's vision. But you notice I didn't put a fourth zero there. We're not doing a thousand. <laughs> 
Well, let's see. At the rate we're going, we would probably hit episode 1000 in, uh, see, it's taken us three and a half years to get this far, so 2045-ish? No, I don't think we're going to still be No, no, at some point, yeah, yeah. It all comes to an end, but not today. No, today we start a new centennial of podcasts, of RPG backtracks. Yeah, party on. And what do we have for you today, boys and girls? Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. We've got contest. We've got a really awesome series of RPG, a a particular series of RPGs that we're going to be talking about, the Shining Force series that most people know and love. And if you don't, you're going to find out today why you need to know and love it. Ain't that right, Mr. Mickey? Damn straight. Yeah. Damn straight. Yeah. I've got a special surprise for y'all. I I mean, I've dug way back to play something really old, yet revolutionary at the same time, just for this 100th episode. I mean, I've gone outside the box for this one. We're all going to talk about our favorite RPG of all time at some point during the show. We have contests. We read your comments. We have giveaways. I, it's just, we're just, we're just blowing the doors off. They're off. They're, They're on the ground. The doors, they're all gone. The explosive force is heightened because one of the giveaways is Cross Edge. That's a Cross Edge. <laughs> Shucks, Cross Edge. People, wah, it's a little wah, known wah. fact that that game actually makes an imp- an exp- a very effective explosive. So what you? <laughs> its subject matter is just so incendiary. <laughs> So what you guys are going to want to do is you're going to want to get your Twitter account, your email addresses ready and the such because uh, for these contests that we're going to be doing today, uh, we're going to have you emailing different places or Twittering different places with your answers. And uh, we're going to take basically the first correct answer that comes across into our mailbox. And each one might be a little bit different. So you need to listen and pay attention, follow directions closely. Because that's how this stuff works. So our first question, um, let's see here. That's going to be an email, so get your email clients ready and the such. And this is going to be for a copy of a game that I'm still trying to pull up here. Uh, a lot of this is going to be Steam games, girls, because I, I still got a crap load of Steam gift games that I'm dying to give away. So, uh, yeah, it's all about the Steam games today. Uh, let's give away a copy of, you know, we never did give away Lord of the Rings Lego. Just saying. It's still there. But, you know, since we're talking old school games today, we're going to kick this off with kind of an old school RPG giveaway. Uh, we're going to give away Cthulhu Saves the World with Breath of Death 7 through Steam. If you can answer the following question correctly and get it to Mike Minky first. Question number one is, what is the, uh, where, what game is that, is the intro song from that you just heard? Aha, don't you guys blurt it out. It's a, it's a, it's a test. Ooh, I know what it is. No, no, bad, <laughs> bad. Mr. Minky, what's your email just for them to email that answer to? Albert Odyssey, A-L-B-E-R-T-O-D-Y-S-S-E-Y at hotmail.com. That's right. Make sure that you put the answer in there and make sure that you also say that you want the Cthulhu Saves the World with Breath of Death 7 double pack when you email him. If you don't, Phil might send you something else. That's right, like mutant jewels. <laughs> mutant, mutant, I can't even pronounce it so bad. Cross edge. <laughs> Actually, I think I... Hyperdimension oh, Neptunia. You, you know, I still think I have the Dark Spire line around here. <laughs> well, uh, that that is very retro. That's right. So, uh, yeah, yeah. But we're going to pepper some questions throughout just to make sure you're listening. So that's one game, and uh, we'll have some more giveaways as we go on. <sighs> well, thank you. So hold on tight. We're going to be right back. We're going to let you listen to some really cool music from the Shining Four series, and we'll be uh, picking this right back up in just a moment. <laughs> Oh, 
right, so we're back and we're talking about the Shining Force series. Mr. Miki, I understand that some of your favorite games are in here? We will be getting to that a little later. All right. The first, the very first Shining Force game is a lot of fun. But it's not your favorite. But, it, but it's not my favorite. Not your favorite. Fair enough. Um, but, you know, it's 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 a, this is a series that you and I both love. And so it was an excellent choice for our 100th episode. And I'm sure that our two uh, RP Gamer guests tonight also love this series. Am I am I right here? Yes. yes, indeed. All right, good. So we got we got a podcast full of love for y'all tonight, uh, and we're gonna kick it off with Shining Force, uh, the original Shining Force. This was developed by uh, Climax Entertainment, and uh, it says soft, Sonic Software Planning. I don't know about that. Yes, yeah, Sonic Software. Planning oh, they did the Game was Boy, original... right? Did they do the Game Boy Sonic Software Planning? Yes, ah. that is why it worked. Actually, the descendants of that company now do work pretty much exclusively with Nintendo. Mm. But back in the day, it was a Sega second-party developer that would soon enough become Camelot, a name people may be familiar with. Well, this was uh, published by uh, Sega, and this was (laughs) released on the uh, Genesis system in North America, July 1993. Uh, It later came out on the Game Boy Advance on June 8th, 2004. We we will be talking about that later because it is different enough to warrant a separate discussion. Uh, That's separate? Can't just... Really? it's It's enough of a remake that, yeah... It, it warrants a separate discussion. Not a very long one, but enough. And on the Virtual Console in July 23rd, 2007. And... and isn't that a whole bunch of Sega's uh, Genesis collections? Uh, Probably. Yes. Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. I think it's on the one that's on 360 and PS3. Okay, I'm going to get through the rest of this here, because I just am. <laughs> the uh, came out on iOS in July 29, 2010, and Windows via Steam on January 26, 2011. This is a single-player tactical RPG coming to you on a 12-megabit cartridge, or a tiny little GBA cartridge, or through electronic download. So, how... Is this game just that good to warrant, like, 18 different releases? It's certainly been making money for Sega with all of them, but um, doesn't deserve it as much as some of the other games in the series. But still, pretty close. But we'll get to that. Yeah. Oh, by the way, did I? Did I? I don't think I mentioned this at the beginning of the show, but since this is our one hundredth episode, I'm celebrating tonight with a hundred proof. <laughs> Just kicking it off right. Now you're saying, Phil, how did you get a hundred proof drink, you know, in Utah? Well it's really it's really easy. What I did is You made it yourself? Well that that would certainly help. What I did is I took a forty proof uh pre mixed drink and a thirty proof and another thirty proof and I mixed them all together into one cup. So forty well, plus thirty uh, plus thirty let, is hundred. Let us know when you cease being able to see just one image in front of you. <laughs> so today's today's episode of the RPG Backtrack is brought to you by the number one hundred and the letter P for proof. <laughs> All right, so back to the back to what's important, the game. So Shining Force. What kind of RPG is this, Mister Minky? This would be what we now call a tactical RPG. That's right. And and as everybody knows, those were just crawling out of the woodwork in the early nineties, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you can't you can't talk yourself without thinking about all the tactical RPGs you found in North America in the early 90s, right? I played eight, uh, I play eight of them. I play eight, maybe nine. Wait, one, two, three, four. I want to say nine. I, I played nine of them before this one. You know, on the consoles. On the consoles. <laughs> oh, on the consoles. No, then no. <laughs> I think, well, I think I think Super Mario Brothers was kind of a tactical RPG. I kind of had to tactically jump on the turtles and gather up coins. They were kind of like experience points. Phil, Phil, yeah. you're cut off. Yeah. 
Oh, already. Damn. I haven't even drank half the cup yet. Uh, all right. So, yes, outside of, you know, I played, uh, I mean, do my history real fast with this. I, I, as you guys know, I played a lot of Gold Box D&D games on the computers, which were way ahead of their time, considering they came out in, a, in the last half of the 80s, and they were releasing them into the 90s. Those were tactical RPGs, but they were based on the very clunky AD&D rule system. Um, I was very disappointed when I started playing console RPGs like Final Fantasy. I was one of the few people that was kind of disappointed with Final Fantasy. And I had to bite the bullet just to get through Dragon uh, Dragon Quest Four that my mom gave me for Christmas. I did get through it. I had nothing else to do that summer. But I just hated the fact that you are constrained, that your characters are on one side, enemies are on the other side, or whatever the deal may be. And you don't move. There's no thinking. It's just attack, attack, heal. But then I went over to my friend's house one day. He had a Sega genesis and he had shining force and yeah grid based tactical type of deal you move your characters one at a time kind of like a, a board uh, a D pen and paper game uh but the rules were much more simplified a lot of classes and stuff but you didn't have to read an 80 page manual to get into it and uh remember all these archaic rules like you do in D, or you end up giving yourself a D very easily um no with shining force it was intuitive easy to jump into figure out what you're doing and yeah because they added that layer of having to move your characters around on a tactical board and you have things to consider such as you know distance and terrain and the such it, it added a lot more depth than your typical jrpg the other thing well we'll get to that in a second but that's just kind of my overview we'll, we'll talk about other elements in a moment do you guys have a special story of how you came to the series i sure. played it on the wii u virtual on the wii u wii virtual console just <laughs> so it's fairly the last couple of years Wow. Why, why, late to the party yeah it's about to yep. say holy cow. <laughs> so why did why did you pick it up on the on the Wii? what what prompted you um i already played and enjoyed um fire emblem sort of rival series i guess if you will the shining force and a few other strategy rpgs and i figured hey let me check these out and i rather enjoyed them well obviously just the first two i would say of fire emblem the fire emblem games released around the time of the ones on the genesis of the shining force on genesis games would probably not have gone over very well here because those NES ones are pretty archaic if you look at them now. Mm-hmm. And heck, even the first Super Famicom one is pretty archaic, whereas Shining Force, yeah, it shows its age some, but it definitely doesn't feel as if it's a whole lot of work to play it now. Mr. Apps, your story of Shining Force, how you came to Yeah, it. Mr. Apps. Well, I saw one of my brother's friends playing it, and you know, mind you, I didn't have much in the way of experience with strategy RPGs, so, you know, see them moving these characters around the battlefield, you know, it does the cool, you know, switch to showing, like, the blown-up characters battling, it's like, this is awesome, you know, and then after a battle, they go back to the base, and you can talk to all your party members, you know, a lot of stuff that wouldn't seem all that exciting nowadays, but back then, it just was like, whoa, you know? Uh, you know, I've never seen anything like that. So, you know, uh, it took a while till I eventually was able to dig into it myself. But, uh, I mean, from there, it was hooked. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the first game isn't perfect c- compared to its two sequels. But uh, for the time, you know, there was just, on consoles, there was nothing like it. Especially know? in North America. Yeah. I, I think I think that's one of the things that grabbed me as well, being somebody who was into comic books and, you know, practicing some drawing back in the day. The the fact that everything was so beautifully, you know, rendered, and when you attack somebody, the camera swings in behind your character and you see the enemy in the distance and your character leaps forward and comes down with the sword at a whopping three frames per second. But, you know, <laughs> but that, that 
that. Hey, it still looks pretty impressive for the Genesis. I mean, well, yeah, it really does, and you know, but but just... it was it's beautiful. It was gore. It is still is. Yeah, it's it's absolutely a, a mm. gorgeous game. And I mean, Fire Emblem kind of does the same thing. I was playing on my 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 DS the other day, and and how it does the zoom in on the side of the side. But I mean, Shining Force still was a more awe inspiring. And playing you when you play other tactical RPGs of that era, you know, like the basically the D and D ones and the such. I they were deeper, but but you attack it, your guy just uh, you, there's no zoom in. You, you never see the guy's face for crying out loud. He's just like three pixels. But here, oh my gosh, there was another rendered. one on Genesis War Song, but that is also not a visual showcase. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, they totally went the extra mile by. I mean, they probably could have had just a decent RPG, taking the standard tactical approach of you just attack this guy, you do this much damage. But by go- bringing the camera around, the music changes, the scenery is based on the the tiles that you're standing on. You know, in that cutscene and cutsceneing those battles, it was just mind blowing. Yeah, it, and, it really and those cutscenes are more quick. Appealing. I think we need to emphasize how quick the cutscenes yes, go yes. by. Very quick. They don't mm-hmm. outwear their welcome. Very forward thinking. Yeah, because they could get old really quickly if they were too long. Yeah, you see, you see the attack, and then it ends, and you go back to the map within usually five, six seconds. All right, so let's let's get into this proper. Who wants to talk about the plot of Shining Force? Uh, well, this won't take long. <laughs> <laughs> uh, your leader is Max. In the original Genesis game, Max. I'm trying to. Remember, I think he says a couple of lines during the epilogue, and that's it. Which yeah, he was stand- a final protagonist, pretty much. It, it's standard for Camelot, which is fine. And again, for for the early '90s, he didn't really expect that much. Um, he winds up working with uh, the nation of Grand Seal, which is being attacked by the evil people from Runefaust. And there's one evil person in particular, Dark Soul. <sighs> you, and with a name like that, you, you really know his future is not going to be pretty. Parents do not name the child Dark Soul if they are expecting him to go on and be a civic activist or something of the same, of that ilk. I have to disagree with you. I mean, I thought he was going to be a good guy helping out the cause and stuff. I, I thought he was just like one of those anti-heroes like Wolverine. And I was just totally taken back when it turned out he was really not a nice guy. You know, Phil, you may be right. Maybe I misjudged him. Maybe I just saw the that name and saw his portrait which looks kind of like he ought to be in service of the devil and thought uh, maybe I just judged him prematurely but as it turns out he is quite evil and he is leading the forces of Runefaust in the service of resurrecting the Dark Dragon. Bum, bum, bum. Now the Dark Dragon, my mind's a little fuzzy because I played this like, I don't know, 20 years ago. The Dark Dragon, he's good, right? As all dragons <laughs> with, with three the... heads and demon horns are. <laughs> Yes, as the legends portell that a dark dragon was responsible for the scourge of the world or something like that. And let's see, Dark Soul has some servants. There's Michela, who is, uh, well, actually she doesn't have much character here, and I'm remembering her from another game right now, but uh, she's she's evil too. I, as I recall, the doll that you fight in that circus battle, which everyone who's played the game probably remembers, was brought to you by oh, Michela. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um... Let's see, there's the King of Runefaust himself, who you only see once right before you kill him. In the original uh, version, anyway. Right. Uh, well, well, I guess we can introduce all the other heroes now. Mm. There are a lot of them, and most of them won't take long. There's Ken, the centaur. I remember Ken, he was cool, but I always felt like he just had this little evil streak to him waiting to come out. 
Well, don't you worry, Phil, because he doesn't have a whole lot to say once the opening battle is over, and he just joins you forever, and you will get better centaurs because Ken is okay for the beginning, but you get so many cool characters in this game that Ken just can't survive on being okay. Then there's Hans, the archer, who sucks. Toss him the instant you get the chance. But he's an archer. He's got ranged attacks. Yeah, and he refuses to gain attack. I tried this. I seriously leveled him to 20, then promoted him. He does not gain much attack ever. He sucks. You suck, Hans. Diana, I'm talking a fictional archer. character. Um, there's there's Tao, or Dao. I don't know if she's supposed to be like the philosophy or something else. She's your mage, and she is actually worth keeping for a long time because mages can hurt a lot. There's There's the dwarf. And the other dwarf, and see how memorable they are. I'm, I'm so remembering their names right now. Do- Gort and Luke. Luke was the younger one. Gort was the older one. I can't remember much of their way their personalities. You, what <laughs> such as it is. Thank you, Cassandra. Um, there's Gong, the giant who can heal a little bit and fight a little bit, and he's not great at either. But when you vote, when you don't have twelve people yet, he works out just fine. There's, uh, oh yes, Lo, the healer who he knows heal. (laughs) Yeah, he was a hobbit. Yes. I don't remember it being quite the same as the Tolkien hobbit, but it it doesn't matter. Um, There's May, I think is her name. The second centaur you get, who is the daughter of the chief trainer in Grand Seal, and she doesn't talk much after she joins either. Then there's Chris, your second healer, and she learns some aura, which is good, because aura is the spell that heals more than one person at a time, and that's really handy. And she looks like some kind of humanoid dog? I could never figure out what she is. I... She's got, like a, she's got look like a muzzle and pointy ears. Yeah, she looks like she ought to be hanging around with Goofy. <laughs> um... else is there? See, I'm not, I'm not gonna go with all the characters right now, I'll just remember the cool ones. Kokichi is cool because he flies. And he can use spears, and that means you've got a ranged flyer, and that's cool. Um, Domingo the Jellyfish, who has amazing defense and can use lots of magic, as flying jellyfish are wont to do. Of course. Uh, Let's see. Very late in the game, you get Musashi the Samurai, who has incredible strength and will kill things easily, and you get Hanzo the Ninja almost at the end of the game, and he is also insanely strong and so worth using. Uh, you, oh yes, Henri, the daughter of Grand Seal's king, who will be its queen because her dad just bought it. I mean, well, evil. <laughs> and she knows magic too, and that's a good thing. And there are those two people you get really late in the game who, I can't even remember their names right now, but if you want to spend a couple of hours leveling them, they're really, really good. Was one of them the fox? I can't remember her name. <laughs> yeah, she she knew bolt magic and the other guy learned Aura 4, and he was the only guy who knew Aura 4, which heals everybody fully on the screen, so you want that spell. Um, there's Lo, the the best archer in the game, if you want to use an archer. There's Blue the dragon, who was a dragon. He flew, and he breathed fire, if I remember right. And, oh, and I that, forgot. And I assume he was blue as well? Actually, he was. Yes. I figure, right? <laughs> And let us not forget, I forgot one of the primary villains, your brother, Cain. <gasps> like With that. a name like that, how could he be villainous? Also, his the, na- the spelling of his name varies depending on whether you're fighting him, because Sega obviously did not feel like employing many proofreaders. <laughs> um, 
there are other characters, but I don't feel like going through all of them right now. <laughs> there are a lot of centaurs in this game. Let me just mention Zylo the werewolf, because... Oh, he's Zylo, yeah, he, he's awesome. Does a ton of, does a ton of damage. Yeah, he, if you put Zylo in your team, he'll, he deserves to be in there the whole game. He mm -hmm. never really slows down. Hmm, okay. Oh, 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 and Arthur the centaur, who gets really, really good if you feel like leveling him power style, and knows some magic, which is unique among all centaurs. Ooh. I don't think I ever got him. He's in he's in Guardiana, the the same place you get on Reed. Just ask him, and he'll say something about, "Gosh, I've been lazy. Maybe, maybe I should go out and train some more and help you." And yeah, he, he eventually learns fire and frost and bolt at level one, <laughs> which is very helpful by the by the point in the game where he will know them. Okay. I, I guess I could mention the bird people, but they they aren't good. They were never good enough to stick with me the whole game. They were from M. They were from A, but I don't okay. know. Just luck of the draw. Any characters we're we're leaving out here, Mr. Apps? I think it got pretty much everybody. Yeah, I'm deliberately not mentioning all of the centaurs because there are a lot of them in the game. Yeah, there's the you know you're generally just going to pick a few to use, and there's really no need to try and use all of them. Well, such as any strategy RPG. Yeah. Well, later Shining Forces get a little better about varying the pace, but seriously, one in four characters in this game is a centaur. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there was Guns the Armadillo Man, just because he's an armadillo man. <laughs> oh, yeah, he, and he's in that steam tank contraption. Uh -huh. Yes. Steam suit of armor. If you give him something to increase his movement, he will pretty much destroy everything in his path. But he does have only four movements, so you're going to have to treat that somehow. Mm. He was one of my favorite characters back in the day. Uh, well, okay, let's... It won't take us too long to talk about the mechanics of the first Shining Force. Oh, dude, they were deep. Deep. They, they were. Oh my gosh. You, you, get, you move a character into range, and the attack option is automatically highlighted, and you choose to either attack or wait for somebody else to attack. Or you pick magic. Oh my gosh. Or use See? an item. Mm -hmm. Right. And, well, Max does have the egress spell, which allows you to zip out, back, go back to town, heal your, instantly heal yourself, and uh, go right back... And fight some more if you want to grind. That's that allows you to grind everybody up to the max, up to a high level if you really want to. Hmm. And that stays with all of the Shining Force games. You get your leader has a spell where if you just say, "Crap, I'm really losing," or "I want to fight this again, get more experience," then you can do that. It's very handy. Mm -hmm. Carries on the proud tradition of old school grinding. <laughs> Not that you really need to do it in Shining. No, Force. you really don't. I never, yeah. I never really grinded. <laughs> Don't know why, just didn't need to. Well, the first Shining Force in particular... Alright, here, here's how Shining Force works in all of its iterations. You can take your characters up to a certain level, at which point you have the option to promote to a different, higher class. And But you don't have to take that option yet. You can keep getting your characters stronger until they reach a certain level, which is 20 in most of them, it's 40 in Shining Force 2, at which point they will stop gaining experience and you will be forced to promote them so that they will get any better. Shining Force 1 is very interesting in that, except for Musashi and Hanzo at the very end of the game, everybody comes to you unpromoted. So if you want to make the people useful late, later in the game, you're going to have to put some serious effort into it. And it's also interesting in that if you promote at level 10, the first time you can promote, your stats actually go down. So you probably don't want to do that. You want to get a few extra levels so that you will not be too badly impoverished from being weakened by promotion. Mm -hmm. That's what promotion will do to you. 
It will. <laughs> I know. Suddenly you've got new, when, new responsibilities and you don't know quite how to handle it and yeah. you're shaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, gosh, when I went from front desk, you know, person to supervisor, oh my, I couldn't get out of bed for a week. I had to see a doctor. Just imagine if you had been forced to kill all the people who came into the hotel and were jerks. <laughs> Man, that would have been rough. So do we want to talk about the music? It's awesome. It's yeah, it's pretty great. I like my music. It's pretty catchy. Yeah. I will say that in these in this original version, uh, some of the a couple of the catchiest tunes are played while you're on the ship, which you only hear a couple of times in the middle of the game, and you then you never hear again. Yeah, it's a shame. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I guess you can keep egressing and <laughs> spend dozens of hours on the ship. Yeah, th- those if battles so are chose. pretty easy, so if you want to grind your folks on <laughs> killing the mollusks, mollusks that are attacking you, go right ahead. <laughs> okay, anything else you could think about? Uh, just that this was kind of one of the most accessible strategy RPGs for the time, and even a little bit still, you know? Uh, I, I think, think that's a great choice of words, accessible. You don't... Yes. Anybody who wants to play a strategy game but doesn't feel like being burdened by... By all strategy, the of litany and litany of you know. <laughs> here, I, I'm weak to lightning now, but I'm actually, but I'm strong against ice, and uh, I'm really good at climbing mountains, but not very good at going through water. You don't need to worry about that with Shining Force. It's it's simple, but not stupidly so. Okay, I like my my analogy better. Those who don't want to be burdened <laughs> by strategy, yay. Well, I. I... Not that the first one is exactly super difficult, but, you know, you still can't play like an idiot. And, you know, especially yeah, if, if in the late game, If Max gets long. killed, then yeah. you do lose. I mean, you only lose half your money and wind up back in church and you get a sermon from the minister saying, <laughs> you, You've got to be careful, Max. Hmm. And, and, and yeah, that's exactly how I imagined him talking, like Jimmy Stewart. You've got to be careful out there, Max. If you, don't, if you make a fuss, then all the people who are counting on you are going to have a problem. Hmm. And, and yes, you can. Uh, I should also mention you can save at any time in the battle, which you could sure. not. This is not standard for console RPGs of any kind in the early '90s. That was really cool. Yeah, and I, you know, I just think the way that uh, the game kind of mixes traditional Japanese RPG mechanics with strategy RPGs just makes it feel kind of like a lot easier for someone to get into not just because it's an easier strategy RPG but just that it's presented in a more familiar way it's not like you know Fire Emblem where you're going in well mostly the earlier Fire Emblem games we're kind of going in and just doing tactical battles and you know it, it's it's just it feels a lot more familiar it's nicer it's a nice accessible you know I, I don't like necessarily calling it an entry level strategy RPG but that's kind of how it works out honestly I could see it being one yeah and, and not not that it makes it a bad strategy RPG just that the way it's designed is it's just easy to get into if never played any sort of strategy RPG I'd agree with that okay and again that's not like that's not uh, that's not a painful criticism. No, if you're not looking at all. for a game where you have to think carefully about every move you're going to take, Shining Force One is not for you. But Dark Dark Spire is. <laughs> so I was going to come up with, uh, say, some of the. Well, Phil, you've been playing Fire Emblem on the GBA, haven't Damn you? Damn Fire Emblem. 
it cheats. It really cheats. There ain't no there ain't no outthinking it when you walk into the fog of war because you have nobody else to do it. So you send your toughest, tankiest guy, and little did you know there's a bandit with a civil arrow bowl, whatever it is, and he kills him in one hit. What the hell? What the hell? It was a tank I sent. It wasn't like I sent the mage first. Stupid game. All right. I, I think Phil's statement was a very effective testament to why Fire Emblem is not necessarily the fairly stress-free experience that Shining Force is. Yeah. And there's, and, and you know, and, and there's a difference between easy and hard and uh, simple and, and tactic or, you know, strategic tactical games with smart AI. You know, there's games, there are games that simply make, give you more enemies who attack you all at once or do cheap tricks to kill your party off. Um, you know, or do puzzle type mechanics in the middle of a battle uh, to try to make your life a lot more miserable. And because their AI isn't up to snuff, but they want to make it, you know, really hard. Uh, you don't have to worry about any of that crap in Shining Force. <laughs> you know, the enemies are out there. You see them way ahead of time, and and you pretty much figure out pretty quickly what their quote unquote aggro range is. You know that if you get within so yeah, many squares, there are, the AI in the first Shining Force is not stellar. Pretty there straightforward. Are... There's one instance I remember in particular where there's a dwarf on the other side of a river. You can attack it with a ranged attack from across the river, and it will not move. He'll wave <laughs> after you hit him in the head with an arrow. Or if you burn him with your fire spell. I think he said thank you after I hit him with a fire spell. He probably did. He looked. He looks like a very lonely dwarf. Thank He's you. glad for the attention. Thank you, laddie. I've been so lonely by myself. Please put me out of my misery. Uncle Scrooge. <laughs> all all dwarves have uh, you know Scottish accents, thanks to World of Warcraft. It's embedded in all of us. All right. Oh, laddie, I, I'm just happy to see you. I've been sitting around here so long. I'm doing an Irish one. Well, that works too. We just kind of mix it all together, so it's okay. We're gonna offend everybody in that part of the world equally. All right. So, um, cool. Well, uh, oh, to... oh, yes, I forgot. The character everyone should use if you want a challenge, yogurt. <laughs> you mean if you want to laugh. <laughs> I'll tell you, people, I did try to level yogurt. And you know what happens if you level yogurt? He gains no stats. And the game just tells you, yogurt seems to have gained a level, but nothing changed. And if you kill an enemy with yogurt, you get a yogurt ring. And you can equip a character with that to make that character look just like yogurt. And he gains no great? stats with level ups. <laughs> I don't. Just kidding. So what you're saying is yogurt is your favorite character in the game? I. How can you not love a character who has one for every stat, including hit points? <laughs> <laughs> and who attacks by looking like he's just kind of flailing his little gerbil arms. Yeah, I can't believe we forgot to mention yogurt. Not yogurt the brave, not yogurt the magnificent, just plain yogurt. You know, that almost tempts me to ask a trivia question right here. Yeah, I think I'm throwing it out there. All right, this one is, can you guys guess my wife's favorite yogurt? Brand. <laughs> yogurt brand, okay? And whoever gets this right... 
gets to pat themselves on the back. Uh, gets a copy of, you know, I've got a Cthulhu Saves the World here. All right, so email that to jcservant at cyberlightcomics.com, or you can try jcservant at rpgamer.com. I think I fixed it. I should test it right now. Um, I thought I fixed my rpgamer address, but um, I, I, I'm not really sure about that. jcservant at cyberlightcomics.com, and tell me what my wife's favorite yoga brand is. Mention uh, Cthulhu Saves the World, and you two can be enjoying this classic on your PC. Um, I think we're ready to move on because we got a lot more games to talk about. We do, yeah. So we're going to move on to we're going to we're going to jump right into Shining Force Two, developed by Sonic Software, planning published by Sega. This was released on the Sega Genesis and Mega Drive in North America in October 1994. Later, coming to the Virtual Console October 6, 2008, and coming to your PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 as part of the Sonic's Ultimate Genesis Collection on February 10, 2009. The PC via Steam in January 20. 2011 another wait phil I, I think it might have seen release as part of the sega smash pack on dreamcast hmm. that was not noted in wikipedia so i'm afraid i'm gonna have to kick that out i'm sorry <laughs> wikipedia as we all know is the definitive resource and if it's not in wiki it's simply not true so you know somebody told me but phil nowhere in wiki does it say the sun rises in the east i said well then it's not true <laughs> tough all right uh, this is a single player tactical rpg coming to you on a 24 megabit cartridge so it's what 50 percent better than the first one because it's 50 percent megabits more because the other one was yeah, 60 uh, megabits? no 100 percent bigger 100 percent. oh that's right the other one's 12 so it's 100 percent better and that means but, that uh super street fighter 2 on genesis is um over three times better because that's 40 megabits there you go. So so this game was an action RPG, right? No. Damn. <laughs> that they broke the mold with this. I mean, that's what everyone's doing these days. They come out with an RPG, but then the next one is like an action game. Phil. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to that point. Okay, cool. All right. That's, that, <laughs> can, Phil, can we enjoy this before we get to that point, okay. please? We're having fun tonight, so uh, let's not go with that stuff all right. yet. All right, but I'm I'm just warning you that uh, the hundred proof is halfway done, so an action RPG version sounded pretty good right about now. All right, so let's talk plot. Okay, well you are in charge of Bowie this time. Also, another character who has a whole lot of nothing to say, but that's fine. He says a bit more than Max, I think. He probably does. But since his since the lines he actually speaks can be counted on the fingers of one hand, and probably you'll have a couple of fingers left by the time you're done, it's not too much to worry about. He, oh gosh, okay. There is a stone stolen by a rat named Slade. Very in the intro of this game, and the king of I'm forgetting the name of the place, but the king looks an awful lot like Santa Claus. He really does. Look at him. I never really the, thought about. He's got the, right he's got the full face. He's got the white beard. <laughs> well, the king is concerned, and Bowie and his two friends, Sarah. Sarah is, a, is an elf, and she's your healer, and she's your healer for half of the entire game before you get another one. So she'd better be good at the job. And uh, your centaur friend starts to the sea. Chester. 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 And you, those are your only two f- helpers in the first battle, which is against slimes and oozes, which you should, which you will actually have trouble with, because it is your first battle. I and lost that first go- battle a few times. First time I played this. Hey, don't underestimate an ooze. <laughs> it, it's got no limbs, so you can't tell what it's going to do. It might just surge into your kneecaps or something. Um, eventually, you come into the quest of finding what happened to that jewel which was stolen. And that's pretty early because Slade re- re- rapidly realizes that what he did was a bad idea. He joins you. 
and he should stick with you for the whole game because he's awesome once he promotes. Uh, well, and, anyway, taking that jewel unsealed evil in the form of devils. Maybe they should have been called something else because if you call them devils, that makes me think of, well, either things on canned food in this country or, you know, things in the Shin Megami Tensei universe. But anyway, these devils are led by a particularly nasty one named Zia. You will fight him at the end where he has kidnapped the princess. A stunningly original plot development. <laughs> and along the way, you will fight other devils, such as... Uh, me out here. I know there are more devils, and I'm trying to remember their names. Uh, there's one that starts with C. Any of their names. One of them, well, there's it's kind of a spoiler, but Oddball what is it, no, Odd Eye? Odd Eye. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the little kid named Odd Oddler, Oddler, right. Yeah, his name was Oddler. That Mamnesia. Turns out he's actually the devil Odd Eye. Yep, and he has a nasty beam that he fires out of his blind eyes, which hurts a lot. Um, there's a guy, the first devil you fight, start, name starts with Z. You actually didn't see this guy before you fight him, and of course he is the weakest of the devils because that's how these things work. Uh, and then there's the ugly purple dude who just keeps getting in your face the whole game, and when you finally get to take this bastard out, you feel a nice sense of accomplishment because he did a good job of seeming odious. Uh, and he has freeze level 4, so you'd better be strong enough to withstand that by that point in the game. You remember the guy I'm talking about, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. can't remember his name, though. Yeah. See, these are such deep characterizations that they have embedded themselves in our heads. <laughs> uh, and I think we, we've got to have a lot a better token... than the first game, at least. <laughs> well, when you've got Dark Soul, do you need anybody else, really? <laughs> Come on, his name is Dark Soul. And that's the hero of this story, right? <laughs> yes, because he, in death, he succeeded in his goal of reviving the Dark Dragon, all... and then you promptly killed it again. Always misunderstood. Uh, um, yes, yeah. And I remember there being a token female devil because we've got to have one. But I don't remember her name either. Mm -hmm. I vaguely remember what she looks like. And uh, there are the there's the goddess Mitula you meet along the way, and the god Vulcanon, who, well, they're, they sort of help you. Vulcanon's sort of a jerk, though. He is a jerk. And you've got Peter the Phoenix on your side, and he's cool. Even if he's he looks awesome. like a plucked chicken before promotion. <laughs> before promotion. And then he looks like a Phoenix proper. I think I think his class is like Phoenix or something before he promotes. Yeah, it's some misspelling, because this little plucked chicken that looks like <laughs> puffing smoke rings with its attack can't be a real Phoenix. <laughs> but man, he's awesome. He gets massive attack boosts. And oh, if he yeah. gets killed, he automatically revives, because he's a Phoenix. Cool. Um, Let's see. There's... Let's just go with memorable battles then, because this one has a lot of them. Oh the Kraken, God, the Kraken battle, that's cool. That was awesome. Mm -hmm. The chess battle. Oh. That was tough. <laughs> Those chess pieces play for keeps. Uh-huh, that one took a while. Um, okay, we'll, uh, we'll come back to that in a little bit. <laughs> there's more. There's I mean. that, I don't know, the battle itself was memorable, but I thought the area where it looks like a, like a giant Nazca line drawing, I think you could actually ride in it after that battle. Yeah, I yes. was thinking of that one, too. That was pretty cool. That one actually re reappears in a later game that I will talk about later tonight. Oh. Ooh. Um, well, okay, here. Um, Shining Force 2 is unique in this series because you can only promote at level 20, and you can power your people up to level 40 before promotion, and if you do that, the people who are unpromoted become so much stronger than the pr people you get later in the game that it's not even worth trying them because that's a whole 20 extra levels of stats they can gain. Mm -hmm. And... Sure. It, 
So I I usually do that because the only reason to promote early is uh, getting better weapons and yeah, those are certainly nice to have. But if you can get through the middle of the game, then you will just be unstoppable at the end. <laughs> I mean, there's some characters that benefit from uh, an early promotion, like Sarah and Slade are pretty weak. Extremely Sarah weak doesn't need it though. She's a she can use the healers cop out. True, of just but constantly. if you do the monk promotion, she kind of becomes that's a true. Great combo oh, yeah. of offense and healing. Yeah, I waited that's... until I got the item for that to promote her into a monk. Yeah, brand, yeah there's brand promotions here. Going. If you have and, yes, and if you wait until late in the game, you can get another of those items and turn Karna into a master monk too. And the two of them together are all the healers you really need, and they'll yeah. be kicking everything mm -hmm. to the curb. Oh yes, Karna and the three other people are... You can choose one of them from the place where you fight the chess battle. And the other three you can get much later in the game. And they're still at level 24 unpromoted, which is actually really good because then if you feel like powering them for a little while to make them super strong, you can do that. After they join, everybody starts being promoted. Yes. Uh, oh yes, Gerhold. He's pretty cool. He's not as cool as Zylo, but any guy who turns into a wolf man once he's promoted is pretty awesome. Yes. <laughs> and I, I like May. She's your little centaur knight, and... and she, oh, the one with the bow? Yeah. Don't, you don't get many archer centaurs, but she does a good job. Again, I mean, benefiting she, uh, from not... The little turtle that joins you, you can name him, but I think his default is Kiwi. Yeah. yeah. He's when he got promotes, awesome he turns defense. It to, when he promotes, he essentially turns it to Gamera. <laughs> a smaller version, I suppose. I'm trying to remember if I used him... I used him during the point in the game when you don't have much choice, but his his HP is so low that one spell usually knocks him out. Yeah, but he's when he tough promotes, to when he promotes, he's pretty tough. It's true. You kind of you kind of have to give him some items to help him out a little, mm -hmm. like uh, something to increase his movement. I think I also used to give him something for defense too. Uh, but I mean, he once he's promoted, he's got like a special attack he uses sometimes that's like brutal. Fire so blade. yeah. I obviously need to go back and use him seriously because the, the low hitch, hit points was the real. Yeah, he's and I, I mean just getting him to level up is tough. I I think he he because he doesn't have a great attack at first too, so you really need no. to you need to, baby you need him to bit, yeah. yeah you need and you need to give him something to boost his attack a little bit. Otherwise, you know you're gonna have to get like people down to one hit point just for him to pick off. You know to get some good XP. Uh, I, mean, I would love to say that Luke the Birdman was great, <laughs> but he really wasn't. He was just okay. I can't Bird remember Man. if I use him or not. Uh, I, I used to like the Birdman, but they're just their defense sucks. Yeah. And, you know, the, the added mobility you get isn't really worth it. But, I mean, there's just so many different characters you can use in this game. It's, you know... Yeah, using some of these guys that have like different weaknesses that you work around uh, is kind of like just an added challenge you can give yourself, I guess. But I mean, if if you kind of want to just plow through everything, I mean, there's so many different options to work with. Shining Force Two has several items you can get that, if your character has them when you choose to promote, will allow you to change into a different class. We yes. talked about that for Sarah mm -hmm. and Karna can be changed instead of a lowly Vysar. Which is why would you want to be that? When you can be a monk. Yeah, master yeah. monks kick awesome. <laughs> I turned one of the knights into a Pegasus knight. I can't remember if it was Chester, maybe Rick, Rick. one of them. That, yeah. that was pretty cool. Yeah, because if it's one of those guys, somebody you've been able to 
power through, then he'll be an awesome Pegasus Knight. Whereas the guy who is a Pegasus Knight and just decides in the middle of a battle, you know, I don't like working with the devils. I'm going to join you guys. He's not that good. And you can choose to change either Kazin or Tyran into a sorcerer if you want, instead of just a wizard, which gives you summon spells. Yes. Or you can summon deities. And Slade is awesome once he promotes because he turns into a ninja and he starts learning special spells. And if you have insane patience with the Mithril, because you only get a few pieces of Mithril in the game and once they're gone, they're gone, then you can get him the, I think it's the Gisarme weapon that will slice enemies in half for instant death. (laughs) And yes, I did have that kind of patience, so I got him that weapon and it was cool. But it does take a lot of patience because... The blacksmith is not necessarily eager to give you the super rare and awesome weapon. No. Let's see. But I mean, Slade is just awesome in general. And, you know, again, he's another one that you kind of have to just stick with because he's kind of eh. Yeah, the thief he's kind of hard to deal with, but just a little bit of babying and he'll be awesome. Yeah, it's not so bad as as like the turtle or anything like that. Mm -hmm. No, certainly not we're in the level of yogurt. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's just can't make, ever make that any good character. No. Only choose yogurt if you want to make the game harder for yourself. <laughs> um, who are we forgetting? Oh, oh, yeah, you can change the dwarf, I'm forgetting his name, into a baron, which is awesome because it means he has more and that's something yes. good. Yeah, that's like almost required if you want to keep using him. Oh, yes, another button. There's Lemon! The oh, I was just going to say Lemon. The dark Baron or whatever. Was he with the Red Baron? The Dark Baron? What, what was his? Red Baron, apparently. Okay. Yeah, I kept thinking Snoopy was going to try and shoot him down. Um, yeah, and of course, once he joins you, because he's immortal and he can't die, then he loses all of his awesome boss stats and just becomes okay. <laughs> but that's par for the course with Shining Force. He's still pretty cool. Yeah. Assuming, of course, that you didn't power your people up to level 40 promotion, in which case he can't really well, compete. Yeah. <laughs> Um, oh yes. This is a significantly longer game than Shining Force 1. It's got a good 45 battles or so. And you can do a lot more exploring as well. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's not broken into chapters. It's one continuous game world. Though if you do that, you may just find yourself going into a battle that you fought a while back, and now the enemies give you nothing, but you still have to do it. Yeah. Yeah, that was annoying. When I first bought it, it just said, ooh, extra experience, and then I do it, it was like, hey, what the heck? Oh, I got one experience point. <laughs> uh-huh. Lucky me. Hmm. Let's see. Did the character... Did the combat footage look better than the first one? I seem to remember it looking somewhat, but not dramatically better. Is that just me? I thought it looked a fair degree better. And yeah. they also... The, the character also, portraits I, are a little better, I think. Yeah, and they added the ni- a nice musical touch where you get a different different music when you're promoted. Help me remember, so, did, did your character's portrait change after promotion in the first game, or was it only here? I think it was only, um, I think in the first game, like, a few characters, I think Blue, the Blue the Dragon, had different if you promoted him into a great dragon. Can't remember anybody else. But I know they changed here. Yes. Oh, yeah. Bowie suddenly goes from looking like a little kid who ought to be out in the junior woodchucks to looking like, wow, and now I can hair. see he's a hero. <laughs> Yeah, I guess promotion just causes your hair to spontaneously grow. Yeah, and you got that awesome heroic music whenever you fight something. Mm-hmm. Yep. And Peter's portrait definitely changed, and, well, he looks like an actual phoenix now, instead of the plucked chicken. 
Don't all phoenixes look like little chickens? When they're baby phoenixes. With, they haven't yet earned having an X. They're just a phoenix. What are your memories of this one, Phil? I remember it was cooler and prettier and more kick-ass than the first one. <laughs> that's my review. You know, that's kind of accurate. That's just, I mean, it, it was just like the first one grew up. You know, it's just more, it was longer, more meaty, you know, better graphics and sound, and just more fun overall. I had a, a much better time with it. And actually had a difficulty option. Hmm. Uh, the Fairy uh, Woods battle, the optional fight. That very pleasant theme if you go into the fairy woods. Oh, we should talk about the AI in this game as compared to the first one. It's not as bad. It's not <laughs> as uh, bad. Yeah. It, it will try and murder you at every possible opportunity. I'm all about the murder. Instead of and, just attacking and, whatever's in front of it. Yeah, of and I mean, the enemies seem to move really fast when they're about to run up and attack you, so it look, can look pretty menacing. <laughs> You know, as opposed to the first game where I think the game would, like, pause at times, and then an enemy would slowly move, and, you know, here it's very fast, and obviously the animations are still very fast, so things move very quickly. Uh, well, that's but, all for the yeah. better. It means we don't yeah. have to sit there staring at the computer making its move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so better AI and, you know, the choice of di difficulty level means you can have your accessible strategy and have it actually challenging as well. Uh, so this game really finds, I don't know if I would, I don't like using the word perfect, but as close to the perfect balance of accessibility and actual challenge is to be found in this game, for sure. Even though, obviously, there are, are ways to, you know, break the game. As in any if you're game. you're so inclined. Yes. Yeah, if you feel like using a, a rings in combat, especially a certain ring that casts boost on everybody, grants you an automatic 25 experience, and if you feel like doing that for a long time, then you can just gain experience all the long day and only have to go back and fix the ring every now and again. <laughs> Which I did once, just because I didn't want to progress, but I did want to promote my people, so I sat around for about an hour and did that. <laughs> Which I will not say was the greatest possible use of my time, but it did the job. Hmm. Okay. Well, I think uh, that was a awesome little trip back. Are we going to do the price roundup at the end of everything, Phil? Uh, well, we we could, except I mean, these two are just found so many easy, cheap ways nowadays, since they're available through so many different download methods. It's True. it's pretty easy to grab these two particular titles, anyways. I think when we get into some of the others, uh, we're going to have some fun looking those up. <laughs> yeah, but you know, just for the heck of it, I'm going to look up what Shining Force on Genesis goes for right now. I'm sure it'll be interesting. Yeah, shouldn't it be shouldn't it really be too much just because there's so many electronic ways to get it, but then again, as we've mentioned before uh, in previous episodes of the RPG Backtrack, uh, collecting has really become a really big thing in the last, you know, five to eight years. Uh, and it's be, it's just, I've seen values of cartridges just skyrocket. Uh, well, somebody was selling a brand new, unopened copy of Shining Force 2 for $1,500, but it did not sell. <laughs> Can't imagine why. Okay, I see a complete copy of the original game that went for 29 bucks, and that seems to be about right in the close to $30 range if you want the complete thing. And Shining Force 2, if you just want the cart, you'll probably be paying 12 to 15 If you want the whole thing, about 30 Somewhere in that range. Dude, dude, someone's already answered one of our questions. 
How's that, that possible? Was, we haven't even posted it I don't know. Is someone psychic? They're psychic. I'm just kidding. Wouldn't that be funny, though? <laughs> you know, when you drink enough of this stuff, you just believe anything. <laughs> I'm just, I don't even believe in my own stuff. Okay, so uh, we're going to take a teeny tiny little break, and we'll be right back to talk about some more Shining Force. Please stand by for these commercial messages. We have made it back. We're ready to talk about Shining Force CD, a 1994 remake of the Game Gear RPG Shining Force Gaiden and Gaiden 2. This is uh, developed by Sonic Software Planning, published by Sega. This was released here in North America on March 22nd, 1995. And surprisingly, a single-player tactical RPG. You know, I, I can't wait till we talk about one of these games and it doesn't say tactical RPG. It's time for something <laughs> different. It's time for no. something with more action no. in it. La 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 la. <laughs> Phil, do you remember the old saying, "Be careful what you wish for; you just might get it." Let's let's not tempt the dangerous beast right now. Okay, Shining Force CD. Now, you have not played this, right, Mr. Epps? Uh, I have kind of dabbled in it a little bit, but no, I played the two games as contains on their original platform. Oh, you played the first one in its Japanese RAW, huh? Uh, not on an actual system on my computer. <clears throat> but yes, <laughs> I played the original, the first one in Japanese. Okay. And I know Phil does not have a Sega CD, so he did not play this one. Sega. And Cassandra, you did not have a Sega CD, right? Nope. Nor Genesis. And this one has not seen a Virtual Console re-release, although mm -hmm. the second game, which is the only one, the only Game Gear title that was translated on the Game Gear, is on the 3DS Virtual Console right now, if you wanted to get it that way. Oh, yes. did not know that. For about the a good price to pay for it which well we'll we'll talk about it yeah uh, okay shining force gaiden 1 and 2 were actually the same story more or less they just deal with different characters the first one in its game gear form never crossed the ocean the second one did and both of them were collected in shining force cd along with a third scenario which doesn't add a whole lot of content, but does allow you to mix the characters from the two games together for some somewhat harder battles. And a fourth scenario at the very end, which is just fighting all of the bosses from the game, and if you... Well, I did that once upon a time, and I did win, but it wasn't the greatest use of my time. <laughs> and 
you do not need to worry. They have been given a nice Sega CD treatment so that they look good. They do not look like Game Gear games, and they sound good. Remember that. Remember that gorgeous uh, Q sound stuff, whatever it was back in the early '90s. You get nice music with these games, and I know you can play this in a regular CD player and listen to the music. I've done it. This was back when you could do that with your games. Um, CD player? Is that like <laughs> some form of MP3 player? I don't understand. I know, I'm asking people to remember what? a time when... What is the CD player you speak of? <laughs> well, it's that thing over in your corner that's been sitting, that's been gathering dust for a while, and people only use it when the grandparents come over what? and they can't be bothered with anything newfangled. Wait, 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 wait. You, can't, you don't have any vinyl. You mean the coaster holder? <laughs> you use it for coasters? You could. It's just so Well, no, no, no. There's the coasters, that... the, the coasters that we put inside the coaster holder. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Okay, cool. So it looks nice and it sounds nice. But it act- it's in actual play, it is definitely a Shining Force game. The thing is that the town exploration aspect has been completely removed from Shining Force CD because that's the way the Game Gear games were. You go straight from battle to battle. You get to visit your headquarters every now and again to take care of church functions, go save, swap items, whatnot. And there will be a merchant right next to your encampment to allow you to buy things. And then you go right back out and fight. So... If the exploration part of Shining Force, which is a big part of it, is a big thing to you, then you will not love this game. But I happen to really like Shining Force battles, and these two, this game has a whole lot of good ones. Yeah. Let's see. The first part deals with Prince Nick of um, somewhere. You don't know he's a prince at the beginning. You just learn that eventually. And several Shining Force characters, including Henri and several others whose names are mistranslated by Sega so that getting the connection is harder than it should be. (laughs) Way to go. Make appearances. Along with Domingo, actually. He is a hidden character. Each part of Shining Force CD has exactly two hidden characters you will find by looking in the precise bright spot on a battlefield. Domingo is one of them, and um, I think Amiga, a female flying jellyfish, is the other one. In this first game. Amiga? Really? Epic. I think, yes. Sunday and friend. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But at least it is a female jellyfish and not a male one. That would make even less sense. <laughs> well, it'd be amigo, but <laughs> regardless. Um, let's see. I'm trying very hard to remember exactly what goes on in the plot here, and it's just not coming to me. <laughs> you get, you've got a big bad guy who transforms into a scorpion at the end, and you've got his three henchmen who, well, they... They serve exactly what henchmen are supposed to do. They annoy you, they act evil, and then eventually you kill them. Doesn't somebody's hand get turned to stone or something? 
That happens at the very end of it. Yes, that would be Nick's okay. hand. Okay. Well, yeah, so I'm, he... I'm, rem- I'm remembering that from the uh, the second one. And that sets up the stage for the second one. I'm sorry. Wendy was a good mage in the first one. Um, oh yes, the second battle of the first game. I know I'm getting this. It's confusing to have me call them games when they're part of the same game, but it, just remember they, they were originally two separate games. You have just been in a shipwreck, and your force has lost all of its equipment, and you need to search around the ruins in order to find junk weapons, you know, logs and whatnot, but it's better than fighting with your bare hands. Um, gosh. So many, so many nice fights in this, but not many that are reaching out and slapping me in the face as being super memorable right now. <laughs> Uh, okay, so second one, which was released here, is sort of Haja, stars Deanna. I think this should have been translated as Dean, but Sega, in its wonderful infinite wisdom, just decided Deanna works pretty well. And um, yeah, the first. If anybody has ever met a man named Deanna before, please show me. I'm I'm just <laughs> curious. <laughs> Uh, he is he has a terrible secret because he was found washed up on shore and he is actually from the evil kingdom that uh, we're fighting against oh my god an amnesiac hero I've never heard of such a thing <laughs> I, I know please please contain your shock and awe Let's see. There, I remember in the middle of this game, your team is actually split up right around the point where you would have 12 people normally. And this is why your mage, Natasha, has the egress spell so that she can serve as your leader for a few battles. Um, and then eventually, well, your bad guy, his name is Warderer, if I remember right. He is evil. He is seeking to revive Eum. Eum is, well, it's a gigantic demon thing that that takes up the final battle. Uh, And he has three underlings. Guess what you're going to do with them? Fight them? You got it in one! It's like (laughs) like you're detecting a pattern, Cassandra. Maybe I'm just lucky. (laughs) Maybe. Hey, that reminds me. I got... I had a receipt today for 777. I should have gone to the casino. Um, and you beat Warder in the final battle, and because this is a Shining Force final battle, he will not accept that this is the end, and he revives Eum somehow in his death, and Eum is rather similar to Dark Dragon. You've got a core, which is evil, and you've got two parts of Eum, which only have a range of two of their attacks, so if you're patient and use your archers, you can kill them without taking any damage, which you probably want to do. Because the core of EM naturally uses demon breath, and demon breath hurts a lot, and you can't do much about it. (laughs) And part three finds the two forces just having a grand old time, and then Queen Henri gets kidnapped again. Yeah, so... No, she didn't get kidnapped in the first game. She got put to sleep, something like that. But she was still out of commission because 
We we can't have her be a playable character in the game. It just doesn't work. And she is kidnapped by. I keep. I want to say that her name is actually Baba, but that makes no sense. That's too obvious. And she has three henchmen too. Chu Rao, the guy who actually has such horrible heartburn that he breathes fire. Um, and the other two, and I'm totally remembering their names, as you can tell by by providing them instead of hemming and hawing about nothing whatsoever. And you beat them, and you find a bunch of interesting things in these battles, and then you beat Baba, and then you learn that it was all just some training mission that she performs to make sure that the guards of the queen or the king are actually up to the job. And then there's the final battle, which has absolutely no story whatsoever, and is just, here's a set team of 12 people. Here are all of the bosses from the game. Go kill them. (laughs) And you will be taking advantage of the fact that your healer is equipped with a staff that regenerates her magic points slowly, because you will need that. Uh, Shining Force CD, obviously the story is not causing my memory to go into overdrive. <laughs> but in particular, because it's a, because the Sega CD allows for the nice audio-visual boost, it has some great tunes while you play the thing. There are numerous interesting battles. I'm remembering one with our, fun, our favorite of the Shining Force style where there's a big beam thing at the top of the screen that will be blasting you as you try to advance down. Yay, I actually <laughs> like all those whenever they show up. Well, you get one here. <laughs> Excellent. And, and you get a battle where uh, one, of, one of the bad guys has put these things that Sega wonderfully translated as Balan when they should be Balloon. <laughs> and if you get close, they blow up! But you want to be careful with that. But there are a number... It's just standard Shining Force battles. A lot of them, they're fun. Um, Really, this is just like another Shining Force where you don't get to explore, but you still get to fight a lot. And the fights are fun. And this is a great treat for people who have the ability to play it which isn't that many because it is restricted to the Sega CD. But I recommend it for any old-school Shining Force fans because it is like finding a little treat that you suddenly have the ability to access. It's like Finding Nemo. (laughs) But it's Mm -hmm. Finding Dory now. That's what the sequel's going to be. Yay! Uh, Are they really making a sequel? Apparently. Ellen's been talking about it. She's jazzed. Uh, uh, okay, never mind that. Oh, 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 come on. The Toy Story sequels were good. <laughs> yeah, they were. That's true. I don't know what the heck I'm complaining about. Uh, and, um, yeah, Cars 2, I, I totally saw it, so I can compare it to Cars 1, which were... Uh, Okay. 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 So you said, you said, let's get back to Shining Force CD. So you said it was good. You said it was awesome, but is it two hundred twenty-four dollars and ninety-eight cents a good? Oh dear lord! What? what? 
through? Is that a sealed copy you just found? No, from? in fact, that's just a like new copy. If you want the sealed copy, you might have to fork out twenty eight hundred bucks. But it does come with some other games for that much. Lunar games okay. and such. Um, uh, let's see here. I'm trying uh, to find uh, I'm trying to find a sealed one that's by itself just so I can kind of get a, a price check on that one. I'm having a little bit of a hard I'm time. Seeing, I'm seeing a couple in the hundred dollar range. Now you can buy a used Please, one. Yeah, you can buy a used one for eighty nine plus shipping. So is it worth eighty nine plus shipping? Uh that's a toughie for me to say dun, dun, because dun, that is a dun, lot. Dun, 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 I see. How much do you dun, like dun, your Shining dun, Force? Dun. Is is oh wait, the Phil, seg- Phil, it was released in Europe too. There's a Powell mega. There's a mega CD release. Ooh, can you play it here? Is, is the is the Sega it's CD, a Sega region, CD region, free. region free? Yeah, I probably not. I don't think so. Yeah. And I, as I recall, modding the Sega CD gets interesting. Well, there's. I'd say before you do that, you the you could play actual discs on a Sega CD emulator, and not really feel bad about it since you're using the actual disc. Hmm. You know, I see one copy that ended for seventy-five bucks recently, but you can't necessarily assume you'll be able to get that price. And I only paid something like forty-five fifty for it. But That's not too bad. All right, so uh, we're gonna we're gonna sneak in a little question here. It's time for a little a little another little piece of trivia. Hey, here it goes. On one of our first backtracks that Mike and I did together, what? Well, you have to go back and check. <laughs> I said I did mention that we that Mike and I took over around number ten or eleven or something. It's pretty easy if you go to backtrack dot com and hit the backtrack link on the left to figure out where we took over because it shows the name of the host and stuff um, and the history there. So you might have to go back. This is really going back far. But Mike and I, uh, we did a we did a skit having to do with Final Fantasy VII as the theme, and it was based on a very popular game show. Now you can take a guess at this, I suppose, or you can go back and listen to it. It was cl- somewhat close to the beginning, if memory serves correctly, and it was pretty hilarious. So, if for no other reason, the real treat of this is going back and listening to that again. Uh, the first person who can uh, email that to me. JC Servant, and I did check my RP Gamer address is working at the moment. JC Servant at RPGamer.com uh, or JC Servant at CyberlightComics.com. They, they, they forward to each other, so I'll see the timestamp. Whoever gets that. Anyone who guesses Love American Style automatically loses. <laughs> Whoever can give me the right answer and mention Freedom Force in the email with their Steam email address will get a copy of the very awesome tactical RPG Freedom Force, which was on my top 10 list. Delivered straight to their Steam account. That's an awesome game. It kicks ass. But that's not what we're talking about tonight. No, Suri Babalino. So while y'all are. We want to take a break now? While everyone is rushing out to get their very own copy of Shining Force CD, um, we, can, we can dive into the next one. You know you want to. Yeah, actually, we should. It won't take very long. Yeah, yeah, you know you want to. Shining Force Final Conflict. Yet, I think that's somewhat of um, false advertisement. Is it really the Final Conflict? Really? I, I don't think it no, is. No, but at least it's it's better than Shining Force Gaiden 3. So this was uh, this was uh, published by Sega in Japan. 
Japan, I believe on June 30th, 1995, a tactical single-player RPG. Again, with the tactical. What's up with this? You know, let me tell you guys a little story. There was this no. really... No, no, you're going to like this. You're going to like this, okay? No. There was this really... I don't think I am. Yeah, you will. Honestly, you know? We will reserve judgment. Maybe he's going somewhere good with this. No, I, okay. I want y'all to think about something for a minute. There was a very good tactical RPG series called Fallout. Followed by a sequel, Fallout 2. And it was starting to get a little stale. A couple of games in a row, tactical. What did they do? They actioned it up. You had an excellent Fallout 3 that won awards across the critics' websites and magazines. So I'm really thinking what Shining Force, he, he really needs something to shake it up now. I mean, come on, this is like the fourth game we've talked about. You know? Bust it out like Fallout. Bust it out. No. No? No. Well, okay, fine. We got all things that go the Fallout way do not succeed. So let's talk about Shining Force Final Conflict, Mr. Minky. All right. Now, getting a hold of a physical copy of this will set you back a little bit of money. I ended up paying about fifty bucks for it with shipping from Japan, and I don't regret it because, well, yeah, it's it's a freaking Game Gear game. It's not difficult to emulate. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Master System technology has been in the emulation range for at least 20 years, I'd say. The host of RP Backtrack may or may not have an emulated copy currently on their hard drive. The other host speaks for himself. I do have a physical copy. I played it on an actual Game Gear, everybody. Whoa, did those and things even means... still work? Last time I saw it, somebody had one. It was so washed out I could barely make it out. Well, I have it plugged into the AC adapter because I did not feel like expending about 80 batteries. Yeah, the batteries will cost you more than the game did. Oh, man. <laughs> that thing, and that game gear yes, eats up batteries but, and spits them out for breakfast. And yes, late, late in the proceedings, somehow, when I look at the game straight on, the colors are out. But if I look at it just a little bit from the side, the colors are still out, up. I that's what I was saying. It, it, that's the problem with like the game gear screen over time because I, I had a game gear... Um. Yeah. After so much usage, you look at it straight on. It just gets more and more washed out. You just start seeing like a white screen after a while. Yeah, that's better than my Game Gear. Mine won't even turn on. Oh, it turns on for a second and then goes off. And this is this is with an AC adapter. This isn't even with batteries. Six double A's, which it will drain in two hours. Yep. Whoa! You got two hours out of yours? Holy crap! <laughs> Where I want one of those. <laughs> How much did you get? 90 minutes? Yeah, well, you know, I would use the uh, nickel cadmium rechargeable batteries. So you can, you can guess how long those would last. You'd like have a whole stack of them because they would last like 15 <laughs> to 30 minutes each. You just prayed you could save a game in time. But it was so cool because I was the only one working at Taco Bell at the time who was playing Mortal Kombat in a handheld. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Get over here. Ah, uh, Yes. Mortal Kombat on the Game Gear. I think we're oh, getting out of talking a little bit. I own that too. Hey, it was an RPG. Uh, it was an action RPG. You know, my character's progressing uh, and, and growing. You know, if we want to go uh, deep into this, I think Sub-Zero mythologies might tangentially, but let's not go there. <laughs> okay, Shining Force Final Conflict. Now, this is a link between Shining Force 1 and Shining Force 2. You know this because Max is in the game. And so is Adam, that robot you find near the end of the original Shining Force at all of level 9 unpromoted. And if you feel like powering him up to use him that late in the game, 
Much power to you. Max is seeking Michela. Yes, Michela, Dark Souls minion from the first game, is up to no good. And she says, oh, ho, 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 a lot in this game. And she gets the better of Max because you have to fight him near the end with a mask controlling him. And he's he uses spark level three on you, and that's not a fun. Oh, 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 God. So let's see. You are controlling Ian. And I forgot his name, so I put in uh, Torque, of all things. I don't know. I was thinking about the, the monkeys and Peter Torque. So sue me. Um, and Ian, as you will learn late in the game, is actually Max's nephew. He is the son of Cain. That makes... I don't know how much difference that makes to people, but it's interesting. <laughs> and Adam is your guide... Uh, you know, the character has to come along because your lead can't talk, so somebody else has to talk for for him. So Adam's with you the whole time, usually yammering about stuff. And Michela has three minions, and because I just played the game, I remember their names. There's Magus, the purple ugly guy. There's Lynx, the honorable man who wants to give you a decent fight, and then Michelle pops in and gives him extra soldiers, and he's not happy about it, but whatever. And, uh, the third one. And I'm totally going to remember his name. And until I do, I'll talk about something else. Let's see. One of your your mage, your primary mage in this is Howell. Haywell, Howell, however you say that, who is apparently Kazin's mentor at the beginning of Shining Force 2. And you, this is structured similarly to Shining Force Two, and then you get you get a guy named Ruberon, who is very much like Slade, except that he has ninja weapons which have a range of two all the time, and his attack is freaking amazing. I I powered him up, and he had an attack of over ninety by the end of the game, which is very impressive for one of these Shining wow. Force guidance. And near the end. Yes, near the end, you will fight Michela. And fighting her is actually kind of interesting because she has five statues which cover all avenues of approach to reaching her. You can break those statues, but three of them will fire off every round until you start breaking them. And once you beat Michela, she will revive Dark Soul with all of her power. And then Dark Soul reappears, and, you fight, and he's remarkably like Dark Dragon. He has two hands that you need to kill, and then he has a head. And in the final battle, Odd Eye will help you. He is your 13th character, so you can't get rid of him even if you wanted to. Huh. And he is there because Zeon does not want Dark Soul revived. Let's see. So aside from that, we've got the standard minions who talk a lot and have exactly one note to their personalities nothing new there and being that this is on the Game Gear and never saw a release anywhere else the visuals, they're pretty good for 8-bit but they can't really compare to the Genesis or the Sega CD visuals and the sound is actually remixed stuff from Shining Force 2 except 
even though I was using earphones, heard through the game gear, it does not sound anywhere near as good. <laughs> but it does have several memorable battles. There's one where several sandworms will pop up gradually as you go through the field, and they will usually pick an annoying time to pop up, and they have an attack with the range of spark at a higher level, except it uses no magic points, so it's pretty nasty. And there's an, there's a battlefield where it's partially enshrouded in fog, and things get revealed as you move further up the field. And there's a battlefield where there are a bunch of magical orbs where if you stand around them too long, they'll blow up, but they also replenish your magic points continually, which means you can just go hog wild. <laughs> and several really good characters. There's Cynthia, the only character who learns aura, so of course you want her. She has some of the most baffling growth I've ever come across. She gets really high attack for whatever reason. So when when your priest smacks things with her rod, she can usually kill them. That just floored me. <laughs> That's unusual. Indeed. It plays very, very much like Shining Force CD did, which makes sense. Another couple of hidden characters you find by looking in exactly the right spot. One of them is another ninja, but he's level 6 promoted and he joins you with 24 hit points. That's just pathetic. Ugh. So I didn't bother using him because I knew he would get killed real fast. And I really wanted to like Minto, or Mint, I guess, because Michula gives her to you. But I'm sorry, even though she's a mage, if she dies in one freaking hit from the enemy, she's just not that useful to me. <laughs> And yes, you do get to fight on the bird from Shining Force 2, the the Aztec symbol. Oh, man. Line, yeah. The Aztec bird, yes. It's It obviously doesn't pack quite as much punch when you're doing it with Game Gear graphics, but it's still nice to see that again. And you revisit several Shining Force 2 locations, and Vulcanon, I think, was nicer this time. I, I read the translation for this a long time ago, but it's up there on Shining Force Central. It's easy to find. Just go look at it there. Easy to... I'm glad that I played this, be partially because it had been so long since I had played a real Shining Force game that this one came across as a very pleasant surprise, especially after all the, the other Shining games I've been playing recently that do not deserve that name. <laughs> you know what would oh, be a surprise boy. to me if it wasn't a tactical RPG? It is. 22 battles, fun stuff. I'm glad I played this game. Yes, it was a little pricey, but not nearly as much as it once was. And for a real Shining Force game that I can say, yeah, I, I played that on the original hardware. I have the real thing. I'm glad. It's... I can't oversell it because like the like Shining Force CD there is no exploration you just go straight from battle to battle with headquarters scenes in between but it's fun if only you could just run around in full 3D graphics <laughs> no no well I mean it, that's much... kind of my feeling about these games too is that just 
the the Game Gear games are just not as not as good as the Genesis games, but just a great you know great little bite sized adventures that uh, I don't regret playing any of them. Yeah, and being that it is on the Game Gear, you need to be able to set it down in a hurry if necessary. And yes, <laughs> that you can save anytime you want. Isn't that lovely? Isn't that a good thing? Well, I, at least on the uh, 3DS now, you can play the second one and not have to worry about that at all. Yes, though it, it would be the Game Gear version and not the enhanced Sega CD one. Which this is true. Look, looks and sounds a lot better. Yeah. yeah I really wish they, they could get that uh, Sega CD version out on something. I mean, uh, it's, yeah, it, 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 it seems unfair for Sega to... It, to exclude that from all but Sega CD owners, except the people who feel yeah. like emulating. And, and this isn't really, uh, you know, the case with, uh, you know, the Sega Saturn, where it's extremely difficult to do any sort of porting or emulation of those games. You know, uh, mm. it's, basically, it's basically just a Sega Genesis game with more storage. That and the Sega CD is on the Virtual Console. There yeah. have been Sega CD <laughs> games there. Exactly. So Sega is doing its best to forget the Saturn ever existed. Uh, we'll get to that. Anyway, Shining Force Final Conflict. Good game. Not as good as the ones on Genesis, but by gum, if you want an old school Shining Force adventure, this gives it to you. Okay. Well, moving on, we've got Shining Force 3. Maybe we should take a break first. No break. No. Are you sure, Phil? No, if I give you a break, I have to give everybody a break. <laughs> but I need a break, actually. Fine, we'll take a break. Jeez. Man, I need a break from all these tactical RPGs. We need something with more action. That's all I'm saying. No! More action. No! Please, no. More action. Mercy. Mercy.
And we have made it back and we're ready to talk about Shining Force 3, developed by Camelot, software planning, published by Sega. This was uh, released in at least the first scenario in North America on May 31st, 1998. The other as one of the four final games released on the Saturn in, outside of Japan. Yep, yep. And yes. uh, scenario, scenario two and three came out in April 29th, nineteen ninety eight, and September twenty third, nineteen ninety eight, in Japan. These. Oh, Phil, but but what are the U.S. release dates for those? You, two scenarios? you know, I'm having a little problem <laughs> finding those for some reason. Oh, it's almost. Gosh. It, it, yeah, what, it's a mystery. What happened here? So this was a single-player tactical RPG. Now, I probably don't know nearly as much as you guys do. Um, I can only tell you my story, which was I played the first and second one. Gosh darn loved them to death. I can't remember if I ever had the Game Gear one that you were just talking about or not. I don't even know if I knew it existed. We didn't have the, you know, the internet, you know, until I think I picked it up around. I think I got the internet around 98-ish or so. And... It was around that time that I had a hankering for some more Shining Force. I'm like, there, there, is there some more of this? And I looked up online and I saw that there was this Shining Force 3 out. And I was ready to pull a trigger and buy a Saturn just to play Shining Force 3. When I read somewhere on my AOL You've Got Mail account that the only the first of the three scenarios were coming to the United States. And this brought me yeah. much depression because I'm a completionist. If I can't have the entire series of something, I don't want any of it at all. You know, I'm like I'm like that person who's like, don't cut the baby. No, no, you keep the whole thing. I don't want half a baby. No. You know that In this case, Phil, it's not like a series. It's more like They cut the baby? <laughs> did, did they here, cut the baby? Here here's here's a game released in three parts. You only get part one. You yeah. wanna know what happens? You don't get to. Ha ha. Yeah, they were never exactly clear about that. I mean, I don't think I really... I mean, I believe I knew about the other parts, but I think I kind of thought that, oh, you know, it's probably... It's like the same game from a different perspective. But, you know, you'll get the whole story, which wasn't the case in the slightest. No. As, and as the let, first let, part kind of just ends. Yeah, Sega alters the dialogue a little bit at the very end to make it uh, ever so slightly less obvious that what the hell is going on? How did this happen? <laughs> well, uh, also, yes, this was released in 1998. The Dreamcast was released on 9999. What was Sega releasing between these last games, Shining Force 3 Scenario 1, Panzer Dragoon Saga, The House of the Dead, and Burning Rangers on anything in North America? The answer to that is a big flat nothing. What, w what were you thinking, Bernie Stolar? We'll never know. I certainly don't know what was going through your head thinking that over a year of emptiness on the Sega release front was a better idea than trying to ingratiate yourself just a little to the Saturn fan base, but that's another story. Okay, Shining Force 3. Scenario 1 has you from the perspective of Symbios. Symbios is the son of Conrad, who cannot attend a peace conference in the city of Saraband because Conrad's ill. So he sends his son in his stead to try and pick up something and bring him back information, which at least gives a justification for why the 17-year-old is suddenly somebody important. What do you know? The, the peace conference goes awry. The setting of Shining Force 3 is a continent where two major nations exist, the Destonian Empire and the Espinian Republic, which broke away 20 years prior in a civil war. These, this is the first, the biggest threat of conflict resuming between the two since that civil war. The major players are King Benetram of the Republic, 
I don't understand how a king is elected, but I'll let that slide. And Emperor Domeric of the Dispinian, the Dispinian Empire. Destonian. And things get quite disheveled in the seemingly neutral city of Saraband when bombs start going off. And the emperor is kidnapped by some masked monks. These masked monks worship at the cult of Bolzome. And Bolzome will be your ultimate menace at the end of the game to face. Bolzome has a heck of a lot of servants. And they are their goal is to usher in their master's reign by causing bloodshed and chaos as much as possible. Obviously, getting the two sides to go at each other because each of them thinks that the other kidnapped the emperor is the best way to go about this. And there are plenty of armies in the neighborhood and they promptly go at it. Symbios, Dantares, Mascarin, and Grace initially just fight some masked monks in Saraband and then trying to escape from the city with King Benetram in tow. They find themselves getting deeper and deeper into the plot, meeting the high priests of Bolzome, Masanda, Desheren, Fiale, Goriate. Eventually, after many, many advent escapades, they make their way back to the Republic, but that is not the, the end of their problems because the Republic is having a famine and many factions within it are more than willing to ally with the Empire to to dishevel ends to their own means. And what do you know, the masks, the forces of Bolzome are also on the move. Conrad ends up dead. Symbios ends up having to try and recapture the capital city of Espinia from the Empire, which has been taken by the second prince, Prince Arant. And that is the end of Symbios' scenario, where he kills Arant, reclaims the, uh, the capital of the Republic, and all seems well for a brief moment until a fresh Imperial force attacks the city, which is revealed to be led by Median, Median's third son of Emperor Domeric, and Emperor Domeric is in tow. How did this happen? You will learn in Scenario 2, which takes place from Median's perspective. Oh, great. Where can I get that one at? Japan? That would actually be the most expensive of the three scenarios, but it's still... I, I think I ended up paying about 70 bucks for it, and I would gladly pay it again because I love this game. And it is in Japanese. Sorry. Yeah, you thought Sega was going to make it easy for you? Well, at least... Here's the way it's easy. You can import your save data from Scenario 1 because various things change, and you need this for Scenario 3. And it will work with Japanese Scenario 2 and Japanese Scenario 3. Isn't that lucky? There's also plenty of uh, fan translations out there to help you along. And I'm not even talking about, like, a hack. I'm talking about, like, playing an actual physical copy. There's plenty of guides out there. Yeah, Shining Force Central also has a compendium of pretty much all the dialogue in these two scenarios. Scenario 2, Median also begins in Saraband, where he also finds some masked monks with explosives and gets off to a bad start with them. His initial assignment, with the help of Campbell, Synthesis, and Uryudo, his initial companions, is to try and figure out what the hell is going on and where his dad went. Well, that's not so easy. <laughs> uh, but he eventually gets led into trying to find Elbasem, which, te- which seems to be the goal of the Bolzome forces. They are after somebody named Gracia, who happens to be the latest innovator and might just be the only threat to Bolzome, so they want to take him out. And Median sets out to stop that. He saves Gracia, and Gracia will play a big role in Scenario 3. Median, meanwhile, gets word that his dad is actually back in Saraband. So he goes back there to confront the evil Governor Garvin, who looks like a Charles Dickens character of the city, who who promptly calls upon help from his Bolzome friends, and runs away once Median beats him anyway. And then, because Garvin is going after the capital of the Republic, and Domeric is with him now, Median has to chase through the Republic, fighting Republican soldiers and the the traps that the Bolzome people throw in his face, until 
he ends up having to stop Garvin, who has unearthed a gigantic tank. Literally, this tank is the size of a city from just plowing down the protective wall. And he does that, stops Garvin, kills him, winds up meeting a couple of traitors to the Republic on the walls of the city, kills them too, along with Symbios' reserve team, which was involved in the final battle of Scenario 1. And that leads to Domeric putting him in a nasty spot. Domeric sent a letter. Median's mother is supposed to be coming here, and if Median does not do what Domeric wants, which is fight Symbios and win, then Domeric will have his mother killed. And Symbios is a friend of Median, so Median is not exactly eager to do this, but when put up against that, he has no real choice, and it looks as if the two heroes are going to kill each other until they get word that Julian is on the way. And that leads us to Scenario 3. Julian was in Scenario 1. He joined Symbios for a while until he tackled Galm, a vandal, and got promptly tossed into a river for his trouble. He blames Galm for the death of his father in Shining the Holy Ark. Whether Galm had anything to do with it, I don't know. I don't think so, but Julian thinks he does. Julian winds up with Median in the middle of Scenario 2 and leaves him only because Median needs to detach some troops to go help the capital city of the Empire against Bullzome attack. Yes, the Bullzome have unearthed an ancient tool which Sega translated as the Valkyrie and could be translated as the Valkyrie, but since I've never seen a Valkyrie that looks like a gigantic mushroom that spits laser beams, <laughs> maybe it's for the best. Julian goes south to do that. And he takes Gracia with him because Gracia has powers that are very dangerous to the Bullzone monks. He gets allies along the way. He gets Donhort, a centaur who has been, frankly, rather bothersome for a while with Median because he just tags along with you and is AI controlled, so he might just be stupid. Now that, he, now that he's with Julian, he can be controlled by you, which is good. And he's got Kate and Archer on his side and several others. Eventually, Median's half-sister Isabella, the princess of the Empire, will also join him. And they take on Goriate, the high priest of Bullzome, who has come down with the Walkere, beat him, and then for their troubles, Prince Majoron, the, the eldest prince of the Empire, to get out of a nasty situation, just says, the fact that you were able to beat them means that you were in league with them all along. And they are forced to get out of the Empire immediately in front of the attempts to kill them for, their, for all their troubles. Getting out of the Empire just leads them into the Republic, which is at war and thinks that, oh, this is another invading force. And a character named Honesty, I know if you name gets <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into that later, plays a role here because she, deliver, she delivered a different letter to Majoran than Domeric expected. General Rogan was a friend of Median's and rewrote, actually forged Domeric's script in order to have Median's mother Melinda accompany Julian instead of being sent north to be directly watched by Domeric. So she's with you for a while as you're going through the Republic, and because she is with Julian instead of where Domeric thinks she is, this allows Honesty to get up there, tell Median what's up, and he and Symbio stop fighting. Domeric responds badly as you would expect of somebody who has nursed a dream for 20 years, has just seen the possibility of it being extinguished, and has no means of stopping it. So he vows vengeance. Symbios and Median go off on their own merry ways. You can't control them until the very end of the game to meet, to deal with the Bullzone threat, while you continue to control Julian, who has to power up Gracia by going north, meeting several characters who are able to 
put Gracia at a high at the highest class possible so that he's able to do battle with a vandal. And he will need to do that because later he will meet up with Symbios and Median's forces and uh, they are enemies at this point. You will have to fight them. Symbios is forced because Yasha, one of the um, one of Domeric's servants, has put him under a cold spell and threatens to kill him if his force does not defend the only one who can get him out of it. And Median because a bishop of Bolzome has put his entire force under mind control. You get through that, you get up to remotest, the final city of the game, you can switch between all three forces now to power them up, and then you go out, each of them fights a battle simultaneously against the nastiest things that the Bullzone forces can do. You have to win all three of them, and then Julian and Gracia can go up and fight Bullzone himself. And I'm skimming over a lot here, because they're... Camelot is not much of a storyteller most of the time, but with this game, it really knocked it out of the park. This... It, I love seeing the maneuvering happening here, all the pieces sliding around the board, the three forces, each doing their own thing for a while. Pretty much every fight in this game is memorable. And the fact that I remembered that much of the plot and I'm deliberately not saying everything I could in order to not have this podcast take five hours, <laughs> the fact that I'm remembering this much of the plot ought to tell you something. Because Shining Force 3 is my favorite game, my favorite RPG and I'm trying to do it justice, and I'm not coming close because in cutting down some of the elements, I'm not mentioning certain characters who are memorable. Jane, who plays a ma major role in, in Scenario 3, helps you out a lot. She is the sister of Desheren, it is revealed. She, she and Julian have a thing which would probably work out better if Julian, in Camelot hero tradition, was not mute the whole time. <laughs> but Hayward the Archer... Obright, the dwarf, Murasame and Hagane, the ninjas, Hazuki, Median's ninja. There's so many good characters in this game. Most of them don't say a whole lot once they join, but in because for the first time in the series, what people says differs based on where you are in the game. They actually do say a lot more than you'd expect. Um, in scenario two, you have a choice. If Median saved, or if Jul if Symbio saved Garrosh at the very beginning of scenario one then Midian will have Garrosh join him. If Symbios did not save him, then Garrosh's brother Jade will join you. You can't have both of them join because one of them has to die, unfortunately. And if Garrosh joined you, then Jade will be the boss of the next battle, and you have to kill him. For Scenario 3, Median has a choice early on. He can either kill Stella, the wife of General Proton, or he can let her live. If Stella lives, then Proton can join Julian in Scenario 3. If Stella dies then General Edmund will join. And either way, the uh, the one you don't get has to die. And this game is really good at not doing something that I have gotten, frankly, sick of RPGs doing, which is you beat up the villain and the villain just brushes off the dust, laughs a lot, and then runs away to do it again. That doesn't happen here. You beat somebody, they die. Except the high priests of Bullzome, and at least in each case there, you get a reason. Somebody comes along to save them, and you only see them again at the very end of Scenario 3, where you do kill them. You feel like joining in, Mr. Abs? Uh, I mean, obviously, I've only played the first part to the end, so I'm not going to have as much to add on the story. Once we start digging into gameplay, I'm going to have a lot to add, for sure. 
Fair enough. Uh, but I can tell you from my experience from the first scenario that uh, compared to uh, the first two games, the story is worlds more in-depth and a lot more interesting and complex. And, you know, it's really a shame that this is the final true Shining Force game from Camelot because uh, it seems with, you know, a, a better system because, you know, the Saturn was practically held together by duct tape uh, that they yeah. could have made something even better and that's kind of depressing considering how good this game is or well, how, is how good Scenario 1 is at least so, well, yeah Scenario 2 and 3, the graphics actually improved for 2 and 3 Oh, good. The, the polygons don't look bad, especially considering the Saturn in Scenario 1, but they look really good in 2 and 3. And considering how I generally feel about 3D visuals, that says something. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of bad-looking 3D games in the Saturn, and uh, Shining Force managed to look quite good. So, yes, the story... I don't know how they did it, but yeah. <laughs> well, well, there's a lot to talk about with this game, and I'm going to try and cover as much as we possibly can, because sure. this is my top pick. Um, yes, another shame here is that Sega's localization for Scenario 1 is actually quite good. It yeah. it flows well, the dialogue is genuinely, genuinely witty most of the time, with the exception of one part, which we'll cover a little later. But the story makes sense, there's, not, there's no blandisms like, watch out for the devils, those devils are nasty, those devils are really, really bad. There are synonyms for devils, Sega. Never mind. <laughs> the, the villains have... They may not necessarily be fleshed out, but each of them has a concrete motivation. The early villain, Shiroff, who just drops in at the front of a train. He's not exactly deep, but you know where he's coming from. You know why he showed up there. And if you play, when you play Scenario 2, you get to see him take off to fight Symbios with a couple of birdmen carrying him in the air. That's kind of funny to watch. You remember that, right? Yes. And the high priests of Bullzome. Well, there you you see very little of Goriate except in Scenario Three, and even then he doesn't get the screen time. Symbios fights Fiale and Basanda. Fiale is a real skunk. He shows up to just mock you, be a little jerk. There's a guy. There's a guy who you actually didn't kill. If he lives, then he's seen the error of his ways. He's seen that civil war isn't the right way to go about fixing his problems. Fiale fixes that. He breaks the man's back for you. <laughs> oh, was he important to you? I'm very sorry. And Fiale goes on to be an extremely... If the, if the role of a villain is to be a nasty sucker, he does the job real well. And then Basanda definitely is no better. Uh, and you see both of them menacing Median somewhat, and you get to see a lot of Desherin. Desherin is Median's primary opponent, and she's a little stronger than Basanda even, and she's a right bitch too. Which is fitting, because she is a villain you are supposed to test. Uh... And Goriate, well, he gets the least screen time of any of them, but he still comes across as a big brute of a guy. And that's even leaving out some of the... There's the Vandal you fight with Symbios. I'm sure you remember that fight. Uh, I do. Which is a nasty fight for that point in the game. And compared to what you will see later, he is not exactly an intimidating opponent, but he nevertheless gets enough background and his setting is memorable enough that he comes across as a strong villain. You you fight various imperial generals as you go on. There's General Franz, a centaur who is somehow married to Spiriel, a human. I don't understand that. Maybe I'm not supposed to. Probably best not to think about it too much. <laughs> yeah, let's not think about it too much. 
You fight other. You fight Republican leaders eventually. I, I'm Republic leaders, but let, let's not get politics into this. Um, Spiriel gets taken over with mind control from Basanda, and you have to beat the crap out of her once, and then later. When you do fight Basanda, you have to leave Spiriel alive because she can join Julian in Scenario 3. And if you kill her, she can't do that. In Scenario 2, you'll fight General Kruert, an Imperial general, on his own ship, which involves first a duel with your ship's cannons going back and forth with his ship's cannons before you get to board his ship and take him out personally. And you meet the Rainblood, which will be which Median would be well advised not to fight because they have bottomless HP when he sees them and are busily beating the crap out of Basanda and Desherin simultaneously. But in Scenario 3, Julian will have to deal with them gradually. The Rainblood Bishop, the Rainblood Pawn, the Rainblood Rook, the Rainblood Knight, the Rainblood Queen, and the Rainblood King. Noticing a theme here? Lots of Rainblood. <laughs> that, yeah, they do Rainblood. And Median fights one Yasha, Julian fights two of them. Yashas are ninjas. And if you only played Scenario 1, then you would only barely see a Yasha showing up at the very end to try and take out Symbios' nephew, Algernon, because Symbios' brother-in-law broke his word and moved against the Imperial forces when his son's life was at stake. And Yasha is certainly a nasty opponent, too. All three of them. And... Yeah, again, because when you beat someone, they stay dead. That's such a marvelous thing in JRPGs, isn't it? You don't usually see that. You very rarely see it. People will get up and laugh at you for having the temerity to waste half an hour of your time beating them up for the fifth time. That doesn't happen here. Being stabbed by multiple bladed weapons actually results in people dying. Isn't that a wonderful thing? What? Stab wounds aren't aren't mortal wounds. Come on now. Um, let's let's see more memorable characters. Let's see. There's Frank, the the wolf guy who joins Symbios. He's he's not that great compared to Zylo, but he's okay. There's Hagane the ninja who is pretty cool. Murasame the ninja who is also pretty cool. Who else joins Symbios? Um, well, there's Eldar the bird lady or Elder. I'm not sure which it's supposed to be. Who works like bird people? There's Finding who joins at the very end and leads the team. For Symbios' final battle, his main team is a distraction fighting the Colossus, inhabiting the moat of the Espinian capital city, while Finding leads his reserve team out to tackle the dam nearby the city in the hopes of flooding the thing out. And the same thing happens for Median. Median leads his main team in a distraction while David, a guy who joined him in Elbasem, leads his reserve team to take on Garvin himself inside the tank. Let's see. And Median gets some really neat, neat people joining him. Like, uh, well, Bernard, you would remember him because Symbios has to free him in order for him to join Median at all. And he's another archer, who, which is good to have. Median also gets Hedoba, the... <laughs> Hedoba, the sorceress who knows free spells and a couple of summon spells, and whose character sprite actually prompted a roommate of mine when I played this back in college to say, I can see the bottoms! Be- because that is the kind of... Uh, bra she's wearing. <laughs> that, that says a lot about my roommate, actually, but it's there. <laughs> and she is damn handy to have. Um, he also gets Robbie the robot to join him. Isn't that great? Just because he's really slow. He gets Zero to join him. Zero you would know because he keeps popping in and out of Scenario 1 and you can never do anything with him because he's off helping Median. <laughs> and if you have... If you attack 
Fiale with Symbios in an early battle where you do, are not required to beat him, and in fact he will run away before you can, you will get a certain item, a, a ship's key. If you get this, Zero will take it to Median and unlock the ship on which Rogan is trapped, which is sinking. And if you don't get it, then Rogan drowns. Oh, God. <clears throat> and Rogan is not a member of your team, but he will show up to help you when Domeric is there, because Domeric, for four battles, will show up on the field, and if he dies, then you lose the fight. It's just like if Median was killed. Um... And Median also has a guy named Papitz, Papish, something like that, join him, who's a little kid with a whip, and if he kills a monster, then he can make it obey you and help your reserve team in the final battle. And some of the coolest people join Julian. Julian gets Thousand the Dragon, and Thousand's special attacks are just goofy. One of them involves him flying and landing butt down on the enemy, and he's a huge dragon, so that would hurt. <laughs> and another involves him just spitting out lightning breath dangerous stuff and Median gets Julian gets Honesty to join him we'll get to that Honesty is a Pegasus honestly now I said later let's not go into the names oh, okay okay yet. sorry we'll have plenty of time with the names soon enough and that means she has a lance she can throw spears for a ranged attack and she can equip wings to give her another type of weapon Honesty is good to have uh, I know that's a joke um <laughs> Julian can have... Well, Isabella is really good because she knows Aura, and that's good to have. Gracia is unique because, yes, he has Aura, but he also has the Inferno spell, which is like the fire spell, except it's even more powerful and has spark-type range. Um, Julian can have Marky join him, who is a witch with freeze and a couple of summoning spells, and she's really good to have. And he can have Proden join him, or and Spiriel or Edmund, and each of the generals can use various types of weapons, and Proton and Edmund both have magic, while Spiriel just uses whatever kind of weapon she can to just get in there and hack the stuff to bits. Mm -hmm. And she's good at it. Um, oh yes, and Julian can have Primula the Fairy join him, and she flies, she's a flying healer with a summon spell so she can attack things, and the utterly ridiculous sight of the fairy the fairy, less than a foot tall, physically attacking things. You can do it. She'll do pathetic damage, but you can do it. Uh, it sounds like it, it's worth it just to see that animation. <laughs> it is. You'll At a really high level, you might see Primula do 10 damage with her special attack. <laughs> oh. yeah, I, I'm deliberately... I could probably try and recite the entire story, but I don't need to do that. The story is really, really good in this game. So let's go into... The combat itself. What's changed from the Genesis ones? A uh, number of different things. Yeah. Uh, there's some nice uh, voice acting in battle, which uh, is kind of forgettable, but it's there. You disgust uh, me. <laughs> oh, no, actually, some of the va voice acting is much worse than memorable. Much worse than unmemorable. Uh, yeah, yeah, that is very true. <laughs> That vandal we mentioned, you fight. Let's try... You scum. Boy, that makes you think it's an intimidating villain, doesn't it? <laughs> or when he says, Behold, my powers. Exactly like some fey guy trying to serve cappuccino to you at Starbucks, something like that. <laughs> or, let's see. There's Symbios, who says, Rain Thunder... 
there's Masquerin who says, here I come. Pretty much like that. There's... Oh, gosh. Oh, yes, there's Hagane, the Indian ninja. Can you beat my ninja technique? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sega definitely employed the usual janitorial staff for this voice acting. Pasanda's <laughs> uh, plea, Lord Bullsome, give me your power, is quite impassioned. And Spiriel's plea, I'm going to kill you. Just Oh just, no. Just reeks with pathos, doesn't it? Okay. Totally. I, I want to praise this thing for one aspect right off the bat, which is that in battle, you can tilt the camera to any viewing angle you want. You're not limited to 90-degree slants. You can just change it wherever you want. I love that. What accurate camera controls in a game from the 90s? Impossible. Unheard of, right? Yeah, it really is. That's surprisingly not even a joke. You're not stuck at an isometric view. You're not stuck with one particular vantage point. No, you can you can move it with the shoulder buttons any which way you want. What a what a great thing. Um, there is one aspect of the game that is a potential small negative, which is that it goes back to the chapter system of Shining Force 1 and the Game Gear Shining Forces instead of the sprawling game that Shining Force 2 was. So once you go to a new location, you can't go back to the old ones. And I find pretty much every fight in these in this whole game to be memorable, but... One thing that makes them stand out is the ruins system, where for each chapter, there is a ruins map, some of which are easier to find than others. And if you get that ruins map, you can go into a battle and send your characters into some ruins where they will compete with some thieves and maybe a few enemies to get very good prizes. And if you don't have the ruins map, too bad, you can't get in there. And the thieves are fast, so you will need to work quickly. Later ruins get particularly interesting. There's one that involves jumping into boxcars and hoping that they take you to the right location in Scenario 3. <laughs> um, memorable fights. Scenario 1 has its share. There's the, fi- there's the fight just getting into the Vandal's mansion where you can only kill a few things. You have to let Khan, a computer-controlled monk, run around and use his orb of Elbasem on some Kyonshi, and if you don't do that, then they'll die, and the people who normally live in that town will die with them. And you can't get Noon, who is a good mage. But if you don't get Noon, then you'll never hear him say, I'll bear my Arctic Blast. And how can you live without hearing that? Um, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And there are several battles in which you need to save characters or else they'll promptly get killed. You need to get somebody up there and talk to them fast. That happens pretty early on, too. I'm thinking of Irene right now, but there are some others. Yeah. uh... And you want Irene. Irene's good. Yeah, this game um, does not really hold back any punches. This is this is no Shining Force One. <laughs> no. This, in fact, even the promotion is different. When I first thought that I should hold out on promotion for a while, but you actually gain stats from promotion in this game, a sizable number of them. So that's a way to make the middle of the game harder if you deliberately wait on promotion. Um. Let's see, memorable shining scenario one fights. There would be the fight with General Garzel, where Median ends up helping you because he's off taking care of General Edmund's army, so that the plan to have you being swamped be swamped by a whole huge number of troops in your rear does not actually come off. 
there would be the fight in the volcano where you end up fighting a baby dragon. And if you kill it, then later when Median goes through a different part of that volcano, he will have to face an arc dragon. And if you leave it alive, then Median can kill the baby dragon, which is a complete joke by that point in the game for him. <laughs> there would be an, a late battle where Symbios' brother-in-law's lieutenant is trying to kill you and at first he and Dantares are alone and the rest of your force doesn't join you until later. There <clears throat> there would be the fight on the Great Wall where a golem is tossing boulders at you the whole time. There would be in scenario two, there's an early fight where periodically a cannon on a ship will blow away parts of the walkway in front of you. There's the fight with Cruert in the ship. The whole getting to Elbusem part first lets you fight an octopus, which is a fight that will be very very familiar to other Shining Force devotees because uh, gradually its limbs will start popping out of the water, and as you kill them, more limbs will pop out, and eventually the head will pop out before you can get to the end. And then you have to fight a battle with several people fleeing from the temple, and masked Bolzome centaurs are trying to kill them. And then there's a fight with a haywire security system that will blast everything indiscriminately as you get in its range. And then there's a fight where, this is the fight where the Rainblood are beating the crap out of Basanda and Deshra and you don't actually want to get up there at all. You want to freeze the water in front of you so that you can get down into a little doorway and reach where Fiale is intimidating Gracia. And a fight where Symbios, Median and Synthesis are alone because the rest of his force has been taken prisoner and you need to kill the jailer with the key and start using it on all the cells to free your your teammates. And in scenario three, there are so many memorable fights. There's one at, at night where alternately a lighthouse will illuminate the battlefield so that the enemy will come after you and make it dark so that they will be a whole of a lot more cautious. And you have to go into, into the lighthouse in order to flip a switch to open the bridge to the final part of the level. And... The whole making Gracia into an innovator part of it is unique because you don't actually fight anything, or you don't have to. You you just have to guide four thing four totems of some kind to the right spots on the map. And if they go to the wrong spots, then things will happen, like enemies popping up or you getting hit with a spell. But you don't have to fight anything in that fight. And probably the most nerve-wracking experience of the whole thing for me is in order to learn exactly how to beat Bullzome. Galm has to tell you. Galm actually fights you. And he's clearly pulling his punches, but even so, it's a nerve-wracking endeavor. <laughs> and the finale, where three Shining Forces are taking on battles simultaneously, and then Julian goes on to take on the final battle. I, I couldn't help wishing that all three of the Shining Forces would take it on with him, but that would have meant 36 characters on screen, and I guess I can see why Camelot didn't do that. Sounds like something they could add in the HD port we'll never get. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, good luck with that. Now, I guess we could criticize some of the names. I'm using the names that Sega translated because I don't think necessarily Justice is a better name than Justin. When you name your son Justice, you're just asking for trouble. Honesty does not have an official translation, so that's what I'm forced to call her. Uh... I'm using the name Arant instead of Arrogant because that's another thing you don't generally call a child. Majoron instead of Majesty because that's also something you don't generally call a child. <laughs> but some of Camelot's names could have perhaps been better. I'll put it that way. Well, honestly, 
Maybe they would have gotten translated better. Yeah. Let's if be honest. If you're naming your child honesty, then you should name your other child truth. It's just the right way. <laughs> and your and your third child should be the American way. <laughs> um. Okay. The friendship system. Yes. I meant to mention that about the battle system. That's a big addition. Uh, Go ahead. I've been talking pretty much. I, I kind of forget how it works, but it's... Um, uh, do you get like bonuses when you're near someone uh, with uh, that yeah. you you're friends with or something like that? When you're right next, was to there a more character. to it than just was there more to it than just like bonuses? No, but the bonuses go up as the friendship level increases. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, so and if you get it to a soulmate, which is the highest level, uh, again in Japanese, the highest level of friendship is love, love. <laughs> I think soulmate works a little better, but you know what? You want to call it love, love? I won't stop you. <laughs> <laughs> then the bonuses apply from one space away instead of you needing to be right next to the character. And they're the highest bonuses of all. Go figure. And the bonuses vary. If, you get, if you're friends with Symbios, then he'll up your attack. If you're friends with, uh, I think it's Obright, then he'll up your defense. If you're friends with uh, Masquerin, she'll up your magical stat. Uh, several characters up your crit stand, your crit likelihood. So good things to have. And a lot of bonuses you'll definitely need. Is there a sure lot of challenging battles in this game? Yeah. Games. I should need to call it games. Damn it. <laughs> it's one game in three parts. Yeah. It's it's always confusing what exactly to call it. I can I consider it one game. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yes, friendship levels are built up by. I think it's generally by hitting the same thing as somebody else, but maybe if I got into the system more, I'd come to understand its depth. It's, yeah. uh, it's not too complicated, though. But it does provide a reason not to let people get killed, because then their friendship levels drop. Yeah. And so uh, Not to just throw people out there to get killed, uh, like you may have done in previous games. Yeah, where you could just bring them back and they'd be just fine. Which they still are, but their friendship levels have gone down, and sometimes that takes a long time to build up. Yeah. And the the weapon learning system. Not, not ringing a bell? It's been a long time, unfortunately. It, it's nothing particularly complex, but as you use a weapon type, you get better with it, and that provides a reason to stick with a certain weapon type instead of switching uh. between, say, this type of arrow and that type of crossbow or whatever. Because... The, as you get better with it, as you get higher levels, then you learn special attacks with it. And you won't know those for the other weapon types. Right. And although uh, I assume those special attacks are pretty random when you're going to get them, it's still nice to be able to get them. They're somewhat random, but a little bit of Fire Emblem makes its way in here in that swords are weaker against lances. Lances are weaker against axes, and axes are weaker against swords. The weapon triangle. yeah, it's it's nothing like to the degree of Fire Emblem, but it does make a difference in how likely you are to use or get hit by a special attack. And those special attacks, especially on your side, can be pretty impressive. L- late in the game, I'm thinking of late Scenario 3 stuff, there's a rapier attack that will just cover your enemy in ice, and then with the last attack, you'll blow all that ice off. <laughs> or, I think Julian's level 3 blade attack involves him somehow splitting into two and then slashing the enemy's head off, more or less. And Median's level 3 rapier attack involves him uh, 
spinning in a circle and stabbing the enemy about 50 times or so before he goes into one deep stab that he sticks with for an entire circle before pulling his blade out. Looks painful. Ouch. So lots of cool special attacks, and Camelot definitely went the extra mile in making them look cool, because scenarios two and three, the character models do look improved. They look uh-huh. as good as any 3D stuff I've ever seen on the Saturn. Uh, oh, I hate you, Sega. Yeah, the, the, this is just one of the... Well, I have a long list. I won't dig into the list. But this is one of the many reasons that Sega over the years has just driven me nuts. Let's go over this again. Yes. Those last four games were released. Working Designs chucked out Magic Knight Ray Earth three three years after its original schedule. (laughs) What was Sega releasing between this and the Dreamcast? Nothing. Uh, Nothing. And, you know, just... The, the limited releases I don't even think were that necessary like Panzer Dragoon Saga selling selling out like everywhere like immediately um, you know you couldn't maybe release a bit more copies so everyone can get the stupid thing and not have to wait years and uh, you know I'm not going to go too far into that because that's just no, a whole we, other thing we, we covered that actually in another episode yes but it, Shining Force 3 it's not. It's not like no one was buying Scenario One. It's. It's not like there was zero audience for it. You know what I mean? Sega even and gave they weren't it a doing PAL anything release. else. Yes. It's. <sighs> there are PAL copies of the English translation of this game. What the hell, Sega? <laughs> what boneheaded, cracker-brained, moronic, imbecilic, idiotic, lame-brained, stupid decision was it? to just say, this is enough. You don't need the rest. <laughs> to, have a, a, to have a scene at the end of Scenario 1 where Median shows up, having stormed his way into the Republican capital with Domeric in tow. Domeric shakes his fist, says, but I will leave now because in deference to the grievous losses you have suffered, but I will come back. That is not what he said. <laughs> that is a pure concoction of imagination. Sega. <laughs> Let's see what haven't we covered. Other Thirty than battles the total for each depression of depression of not getting these games in English. Yeah, there's that. Um, uh, so you, taken in its entirety, Shining Force Three is easily the lengthiest Shining Force of them all. It's a good ninety battles, and that's leaving out the ruins you can explore with each team at, near the end. And you know, not mentioning the fact that how many of these battles are like far longer and larger and more in depth than anything you'd see in the past games. Yes. And that the story knitting it all together is actually interesting and worth experiencing instead of uh, look, here here are some evil things being being revived. Go kill them. And so many more varied locations for battles. Uh, I always love the battles on the train. Just um... uh, it's a masterpiece. I'm going to throw that word out there. Shining Force 3 is a freaking masterpiece, and I've only played a third of it. Yeah, and even if you can't read it, it's not as if Shining Force is a difficult import. The menus yeah. are self-explanatory. The battles make perfect sense. You can experience it, and this long after the game's release, you can easily just sample the thing. Shining Force Central has the translations. You can either apply the patches to the discs or read them on your own, it's there. It's not difficult. Although the expense of acquiring the game in its entirety might be. Yes. 
And I will give a quick shout out to the Shining Force 3 premium disc, which does not technically count as a game because it is not self-contained. It allows you to look at the polygonal models of all the things from the game. <clears throat> That's a lot of models. To sample its soundtrack, which I think Motoi Sakuraba did a superb job on. Pretty much Absolutely. everything in this game is incredibly memorable to me. It allows you to... You can look at production notes, a production history, which isn't that helpful if you don't know Japanese, but it's there. It allows you to see game commercials from Japan. The first one involving Segata Sanshiro is pretty funny. <laughs> and for those who don't know, Segata Sanshiro was Japan's Saturn mascot because his name is very similar to Sugata Sanshiro, an actual judo expert. And if you say it in a different way, it turns out as Sega Satan Shiro. And he was a very good mascot for Japan. And the commercial where he takes down an entire disco, dancing disco club full of people, seemingly just because they aren't playing Shining Force 3, well, <laughs> that's a good commercial, frankly. That's beautiful. And there is the special battle mode of the premium disc, where you get to take any team combination from all three scenarios, put them together, your favorite 12... I should also mention that near the end of Scenario 3, you get the ability to promote your people again to Apostles of Light, Ooh. where they get a brand new battle theme oh. to power up even more. Oh, and I forgot that Arthur joins Median's team. Arthur has a home country of Guardiana and seems suspiciously like the Arthur of Shining Force 1 in that he does learn magic, and you have to stick with him. Hmm. He, he will learn Blaze, Frost, Freeze, and spark up to level 3 each if you get if you let him but that requires some severe persistence cuz he won't learn those up until about level 25 apostle of light class <laughs> uh so the the special battle mode of the premium disc your first battle is against the octopus from the middle of scenario 2 if you can't take it you will not survive <laughs> then you get to take on the three yashas then you get to take on the six rainblood because you fought them two at a time in scenario 3 then you get to take on the four high priests of Bullzom simultaneously. Then you get to take on Bullzom himself with his four, with his three bishops paying call. And then you get to take on Dark Dragon. And then you get to take on Eum. And then you get to take on Zeon, who has 5,000 hit points and his breath poisons you and it will deal easily 30 damage each turn, that poison. So it's nasty stuff. Nice. And the last battle of the premium disc is against Dark Souls. With 7,000 hit points, and he regains 30 of them with each action, and he takes two actions a turn, and he has spark level four. Okay. <laughs> so, have fun with that. Oh, and he regains <laughs> 10 magic points with each action, so he will never Oh, come on. <laughs> See, isn't that nice? You know you're in for a challenge. <laughs> Indeed. So, uh, I could say more about this game, but I think I've used up enough airtime. <laughs> I will say more about it. Please do. Go play this game, any form, any shape, any way you can get it. Just play it. I almost certainly have to. I mean, yeah, I don't think uh, we're ever going to get a remake or re-release of any sort, so I'll have to do it through other means, because this sounds yes. pretty awesome. Yeah. No, um, and the, the reason here is that Camelot was extremely unhappy that after it put all this time and effort into Shining Force 3, Sega pulled the plug on the Saturn and didn't give much promotion to the last two scenarios. And I don't know the full details here. There is an interview 
which I read a while back with Hiroyuki Takahashi of Camelot, explaining some of the reasons for this, but Camelot and Sega do not get along. <laughs> they have not gotten along for 15 years. They are not about to get along anytime soon. And even though Sega owns the Shining rights, Camelot does own the rights to this scenario, to the assets specifically used for Shining Force 3, and will not relinquish them. Mm. And until these two can kiss and make up, which is not going to happen anytime soon, the game will not be re-released for anything else. Crying shame indeed. It's unfortunate. Face. At least you get to see what the Saturn was truly capable of in the right hands with this game. Because I, I do not remember ever being bothered by load times. That's how quick they are with the combat animations, and isn't that a great thing? <laughs> Uh, yeah, especially for that era, I, you know, there were many, many games from that era with load time issues. Yes, there were. <laughs> and this, I'm playing games from years later that have horrend, horrendous load times compared <laughs> to this. Well, anything where I have to sit there for about 10 seconds while the screen decides to load, that's that just irritates me. So, Shining Force 3... Yeah, I can nitpick a couple of things like the English voice acting. Japanese voice acting is much better. And you'll get to hear it when you play the whole thing. <laughs> and some of the names. And maybe the chapter structure instead of being able to go back any, anywhere you want. But these are just minor things and they don't bother me. Well, at least the Shining Force series went out on a high note and never, you know, had other games come out for it that were terrible. Right? Wasn't there right? that one DS game that was pretty decent? Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll give that I a quick mention that. near the end, okay. mostly because it is the, it is worth mentioning, even though it's not from Camelot. But it is. We'll get to that. Phil, do we want to try the price roundup? <laughs> you can download it for free from mugames.com. I'm sorry. Um... <laughs> Phil. Uh-huh. Uh, well, I, I mean, honestly, we just broke a major no one is trying here. to sell the damn thing. <laughs> It's not like Sega, you know, is losing out of money here because they refuse to sell it the old-fashioned way. Or, I mean, heck, why don't they just release this as a downloadable title? There's just so many venues for that nowadays. The copyright issues, didn't you hear? You know? Yeah, and... Um, make it happen. The makers issues. of the game and Sega have split very unamicably and refuse to get back together. Also, the Saturn is really hard to emulate. Mm-hmm. That and Sega seems to be doing its best to forget the Saturn ever existed. We, we get a Dreamcast compilation, but we don't get a Saturn compilation. Yeah, I mean, the only Saturn re-releases other than Knights, which was nice, that have come out in recent years have been from Treasure and not from Sega. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Well, you, so. can, you can pick up the the you know the CD for like 75 to 120 bucks. That's the English version. If you want the Japanese version, it'll be cheaper. Scenario 2, I think, has gone down in price somewhat since I bought it, but it's still moderately pricey. Something like, I have to actually find a Scenario 2 in these stupid completed auctions. And Scenario 3, you can probably get for mm, 10 to 15, looks like. Yeah, Scenario 2, you're looking at about 40 bucks, looks like. Oh, and the premium disc, which I definitely paid a pretty penny for. I seem to remember getting at least a hundred bucks out of me for that one, and I don't really regret it. Mm-hmm. Now, though, the premium disc has gone down somewhat in value. You're probably looking in the sixty-dollar range, and it—you can't play the special battle mode without at least a save from somewhere in all of Shining Force Three. It doesn't work on its own. 
But then again, it's it's not supposed to. It's not an entire game, and it was originally not sold. It was given to people who mailed in the proofs of purchase or something similar for the Japanese market from all three scenarios. Camelot hmm. mailed them away as a gift. Okay. Well, I think we're ready to move on. I think you're ready to Probably. talk about this other game called Shining Force Resurrection of the Dark Dragon? I don't think this one will take nearly as long. <laughs> this was published by Sega on your Game Boy Advance, released in 2004. What's up with this? Well, Phil, this would be the sign that Sega was testing the waters for more tactical Shining Force. And apparently this did not sell well enough because Sega took this as a lesson that people did not want more tactical Shining Force and went back to the action RPG market. Which is a shame, because I think this is actually a very good remake of the first Shining Force. Not without an annoying bug, which is that it, it, when you promote characters, instead of the game considering you to be at level 11 total, it considers you to be back at level 1. So you're going to have to kill things for a little while in order to uh, get back to where you expected to be level-wise. But it adds considerably more plot than there was in the original game. Not necessarily great plot, but enjoyable. Max is no longer mute. It brightens the whole thing nicely, which is good for the GBA screen. Everybody remembers that. And you get actually a little bit of extra in the form of three new characters who will eventually join you after their own unique battles, one of whom is Princess Narsha, the daughter of Runefaust's king, which makes sense. They're, how do you get your princess? She has to be the daughter of a king. And who is completely broken if you use her because she learns aura, she learns a, a magic that increases the movement range of people. The girl has just amazing spells, and she can handle herself in a fight, too. So if you use her, she is very, very good. Um, and it allows you to get Musashi and Hanzo much earlier in the game, which is also good if you feel like abusing the massive potential for abuse these two have. And I, I think you've played this one, right, Cassandra? Um, Yes, in fact, uh, I have it in my DS right now. <laughs> I'm not quite finished with it, but I have played it. So you can elaborate further on any differences that I haven't mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, what else have I... Well, I note, I think Max's portrait actually changes after he um, class changes, obviously. Uh, what else have I noticed? I mean, other than completely redone sprites and such. Uh, Domingo, for some reason, goes from talking to thinking he's a Pokemon, because all he says is his name. <laughs> And everybody, all the like, every characters at, in the um, in the headquarters where you talk to them, they all ha have a little bit to say either about their own backstory or just random bits of information. Like Diane, the archer, will talk about the various beastmen, and um, one of the birdmen, Amon, the white one, she imparts birdman wisdom that she calls spells, <laughs> and just some other little touches. I mean, they're still you know flat characters, but at least they're they talk more and they're more interesting. You've played it, right, Mr. Apps? I have, yes. What are your feelings on it versus the original? Uh, I think it's a fine update of the original. Um, the original version of Shining Force is, feels a little dated as compared to, say, Shining Force 2, which I think still feels fine today. So uh, probably a necessary update that uh, makes it play a bit better. So, But does it make I it as recommend... good as 2? No. Okay, just checking. But it, I would recommend it over the original version for someone looking to, to try out the original Shining Force. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, one thing I forgot to mention about 3. 
characters learn only three spells because the fourth is given to you by your equipment. So that if you equip the right piece, you can learn a summon spell and just have that as your fourth slot. Or if you're, you you want to have somebody learn Ankh so that that person can heal instead of having an attack spell. That's just a really handy feature, and it allows you to have a little bit of customization for your Shining Force characters. So, Shining Force three, Shining Force three sidebar ended. Okay, so <laughs> Resurrection of the Dark Dragon, you can get it between twenty and forty, fifty. There's someone selling one for sixty bucks. New, I hope. Uh, like new, complete with retail box and manual and original inserts, everything. <laughs> this person may I got be in that for like twenty dollars. Yeah, me too. So yeah, I bought this at. I bought this brand new in the store when it first came out because I wanted a new Shining Force, and I don't regret it. Yeah, and me this too. Was, this was yeah. nine years ago, so thirty bucks, I think. Thirty bucks for a new GBA game. That's about right. Mm. Yeah. You don't regret that, but do you regret Shining Force no. Feather? Oh. <laughs> Relax. Gosh, Ash. No, I, do. I don't know what your problem is, man. You're way too on edge. What you need is some of my number 100. Would you like me to mail you some? It's good. Mm. Shining Force Feather, developed by Flight Plan, published by Sega. This was released on the Nintendo DS in Japan on February 19th, 2009. Single player tactical RPG. And I actually picked this one up for uh, my wife. And we're going to talk, of, uh, when, I, I, when I get to talk some more, I'm going to be talking a little bit about how I try to get my wife to play certain games. And she never listens to me. So it sat in her DS for a while. She, she, I think she played like three or four boards and she said it made her brain hurt and she stopped. <laughs> Well, this one we actually talked about in a previous episode. I forget which one. I'll go back and find it. Everybody, you have to... I, that's your next trivia question. Go back and listen to all 100 and tell us which episode Mike mentioned. I was about to answer it, too. Okay, cool. <laughs> I, I don't need to say a whole lot more about it, but I just wanted to include it here as the last Shining Force title, which was a tactical game. And, of course, it did not see release here because this was back when the DS market was getting flooded with emulation and people pirating crap, and Sega just decided, obviously, this isn't worthwhile, which is, as usual, a brilliant decision from Sega. Clearly, this game would have found no audience over here. And it is not like the earlier Shining Force games in that you can only have a maximum of five people on the field and the combat is not the same, but it is a tactical game. Your characters go into combat screens where you can input button combinations. N nothing fancy here, just... And if you have other people in range, they can join in to do uh, concentrated attacks. And it actually works quite well. It's a fun tactical game that is not identical to the Shining Force formula, but nevertheless feels like a good fit with it. And it's easy to acquire. You can probably get it for under 10 bucks if you're diligent on eBay or something like that. And yeah, there's a whole lot of plot with a surprising amount of voice acting for a DS game, which, well, in the episode where I talked about the game before, I actually provided a sample of the clarity there. But you don't need to understand the story to have fun with the fights. And I just wanted to give it another shout-out because it is a worthy game. Mm, okay. I still need to pick up a copy of that. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I got it. Let me go back and check right now. But I got it for her not too long ago for not too much. So it it, it can't be that much. Shining Force Feather Pillow found it. Uh, looks like uh, Japan import thirty six dollars, twenty eight dollars, twenty one Australian dollars. Someone's got an opening bid at nine ninety nine. So yeah, you could probably find it. You know, pretty decently. And Mike, would you say that it was? Would you say it was as good as two? Since two is like the one I know about. Mike's thinking hard about that. Is it as good as two? Dun 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 da, da, dun. Probably not, but it's close. Ba-bum. I would say I would say it's better than one. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's that's pretty cool. Pretty nifty. You know. I mean. Better than one, not as good as two. But as we as we just talked about, three was awesomest of all, right? I mean, three was yes. like one and two awesomeness put together. You could almost say that three was to the extreme, right? And, and the only thing you could, yeah, yeah, and you'd be right. You would be right. And the only thing better than that is if maybe there was some extreme in the name, like Shining Force EXA. <laughs> you know what, Phil? <laughs> I'm not going to rise to debate because I haven't played that one yet. You know, I can't help but notice that you don't have this on the list of games. But I've done my homework and I've got it ready for you guys. Shining Force EXA, developed by Neverland, published by Sega. Released in North America on March 20th, 2007. An action RPG experience. I think you're missing a game before that, Phil. No, no, we just go right to the the good one. What other game? Uh, This is the one that popped up. What other one could there be? One I'd sooner forget about. Is there another one? Let me go another search. I I found that one. Shining Force on what? The PlayStation what? Two. Two? Uh, Shining Force EA. Oh, Neo. Oh, there it is. Neo. Oh, I remember my good friend Neo. I played this one. Phil, how about we talk about these games a different time? Why? Yeah. I do have a lot to say. We're playing Shining Force Because we're talking about the Tactical Shining Force game. I don't remember seeing that in the notes. Yeah, look at look at how awesome this one has classes. It's got a werewolf. How awesome is that? Um, so so you're saying that it's got a geo fortress. That, 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 that movie series with Kate Beckinsale fighting werewolves in the future, whatever the bloody name of it is. It's got undead knights. You know you want it. We want to talk about it another time, Phil. Uh, I will guarantee this. We will talk about it another time. You're missing out, man. You're missing out. Phil, if we talk about this now, how are we going to have any room left in the night to fill out the rest of the show? Yeah. (laughs) 3D graphics, just saying. Shining Force 3 has 3D graphics, and they're a lot more enjoyable than this. (laughs) Uh, But everything's better when it's... Shining Force 3 has a camera that shows me everything I need to see whenever I need to see it. Shining Force 3 was the end of the series until uh, Feather. There you go. Everything's better when you mix Diablo mechanics in with it. No, no, no. <laughs> it didn't even mix... The... Okay, no, I'm not... No, no not, Mr. Not, X, we're, no, not, no, we're no. not falling for this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll be right back.
have returned and we are ready to do one of the most awesome final laps we have ever done because it's our 100th episode final lap it is our 100th final lap it's probably like our 88th or something i don't even remember when we invented the final lap that could almost be a trivia question but since i don't know the answer to it i'm not gonna ask that one no nope not at all Oh, where shall we start first? Oh, I know. We should read comments from the last show, right? Well, that's what we usually do. Yeah, that seems to be the status quo. Hmm. So let's do that. Let's pull up our backtrack, our backtrack. Episode number 99. What did we talk about? Something about Valkyria. Something, I something. think Mr. Apps remembers that show. So, sorry. So, Strawberry Eggs says, I, I think we had a little aside about Fire Emblem, and she, she says, just a note on why you play Fire Emblem Awakening, Awakening on Classic despite restarting. The way I see it, casual make the game too easy. If you run the risk of permanently losing character, you play more cautiously. It doesn't matter who dies, you can just bum rush the mass without giving careful thought. Ponder that for a minute, those of you who play on easy. <laughs> We're Wait a minute, at you easy. I'm like reading these storm. comments, and they're all about awakening instead of Valkyrie. Chron- okay, here we go. Finally, I'm, I'm just gonna skip ahead to the Valkyrie Chronicles. Otherwise, this will become the. Uh, I mean, the Fire Emblem mm-hmm. that was just an aside. And, and who's this guy named Wheel? He's he's even. Gosh, dang, stay on topic, people. Uh, let's see. Severin says, actually, I'm pretty sure it's Valkyrie Chronicles two that does the sitting out. Uh, for a battles thing if you were draw them in time and fire him. It came back to Awakening again! What the hell? Alright, that's it. We're not reading any more y'all's comments. Just, just well, say Play some Fire Emblem Awakening. Pain in the ass. It's a good game. That is a really good game. Yeah. Yeah. Because the Fire Emblem on the Game Boy Advance is a pain in the ass without an FAQ in your hand. Pain ass game. Anyway. We're, we're here to talk about positive feelings today, right? Yes, we're going to stay positive. That's what we're going to do. <sighs> so we're going to stay positive by mentioning that our next RPG backtrack, number 101, is titled Aesop's Something or Other, where uh, we'll be talking about some fable titles. <laughs> the what? Sorry. Fable is a well-known series. I think we took off the reaction there. Brought to you by the mastermind Peter uh, Molnu or whatever his hell his name is. Molnu? Yeah. I, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce that. I've never heard it actually. Spelled. But you know, he's he's an awesome guy, man. I mean, his ideas are so revolutionary. They're so big. They're so grandiose. Can't. And he can always stick to them. Oh wait. Yeah, yeah I can't <laughs> wait to talk about his ideas next. Show. Man, it sure would be nice if he could actually make one of those games that he talks about. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So, it is our 100th episode, and for the last 10 episodes, I have done my personal countdown of my personal top 10. And because it's our 100th blowout, and it's time for me to save my number one game and talk about that for a little bit, we're also going to do the same with the rest of our people on the show today. Mike's already talked about his number one game, but we're also going to hear about Cassandra and Michael App's number one game as well. But first... We need to do my game. Mr. Mike, if you would. Number one! No one in the world could guess this one. Not at all. Is it Final Fantasy VI? Okay, you know what? All right, you know what? Damn you, Mike. Okay, you're you're off the show. All right, that that silence you hear is Michael being booted off the show. Sorry, don't know what happened to Mike. Technical difficulties. Uh, We're trying to get him back, but just not happening. Don't, Don't know what happened. All right, so... 
Final, yes, it is Final Fantasy VI. Developed by Square, published by Square, before they had anything to do with no silly Enix people. This was uh, released on April 2nd, 1994. A single and a multiplayer. Trying to think of that one out, I guess if you can. You could actually, I guess yes, you could use both controllers and have them, you could set the controllers to, to control other people in the part. Yes, I guess so. Um, but in that vein, I guess almost all these games are multiplayer games if you just hand it around the controller during other people's turns, but whatever. This is a role-playing game, and you know what? Wikipedia doesn't have this, but I'm pretty sure this was like a 64 or something really big megabit cartridge, because I remember that was part of the advertisement thing. It was like, this cartridge is packing all these megabits. And I'm like, nowadays you're like, wait a minute, that's only like 8 megabytes or something. It's just, <laughs> that's just crazy. And, and, and today, that would be considered so small. Your photograph you take with your camera has more megabytes in it than this whole game, and yet this, this, this game did so much with so little. If this game doesn't provide more enjoyment than any given eight megabyte picture you might take then uh i am you are obviously somebody who is going to make a great living with photography let, let me let me tell you all some i mean everyone who's heard me on the show anyone who knows me personally knows my likes and, and the whole nine yards you've heard me brag again and again how much i love tactical rpgs i'm a strategy rp gamer at heart i play pen and paper uh and games like i play the more complicated ones like pathfinder as opposed to some of the more easier simpler ones because i enjoy the depth and the strategy and the tactics um and the such and yet this one is my favorite and it goes contradictory to anything you know about me it's a jrpg it's a traditional game it's straightforward it's not open-ended it's pretty much from point a to point b i mean but but you know japanese rpgs jrpgs they have those characteristics I generally don't like with the linearity um, and the focus on story over gameplay. But Final Fantasy VI pulls off those strengths so bloody well, especially in the context of the lens of time. In my opinion, it still holds up today. But when this came out in 94, it just blew the doors off of any JRPG that came before it. And quite honestly, immersed me. I had played the Gold Box games and I played those for hours and hours and hours. And tactical RPGs, especially ones that let you build your own party and have an open-ended element to them the way some of those gold box games did you know they draw you in under their own power there's a reason why open-ended rpgs are so popular and so compelling and yet final fantasy 6 drew me in much uh, to a much greater degree than any of those other games uh up to that time and, and probably still to this i mean obviously it's my number one game so to, still to this day i don't remember I, I can't think of an rpg that has just pulled me in so much into its world its characters its story uh the 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 elements of the game the graphics the music uh is the writing is just all super super top notch uh yeah a friend of mine who played this a good six years or so after it came out said i I think it's scary how good this game is i think it might control the world in some way (laughs) it really really should i mean it absolutely set the bar so high for me that to this day and what do we what do we just say it was 94 so april 2nd we are now 20 years later and uh are we wait 19. 19, 19 years later coming up on the almost two decades we are yeah almost two oh. decades just shy of two decades and actually did you see the the commercial that mac forwarded on twitter recently the original final fantasy 3 commercial yeah it was originally final fantasy 3 the, the one where mog is toasting a variety of things that come into his office because mog is spokes thing for the game for whatever reason it it was a throwback sorry yeah just yeah so final fantasy 6 uh is set in a in a really large uh world i don't even remember if they ever mentioned the name or anything like that um 
And, you know, it starts you right off throwing you into the story um, as a group of soldiers who are in huge mechs um, are on the hunt for a particular lady. And that opening scene uses Mode 7 graphics, which for the time was kind of Nintendo's cutting-edge 3D wannabe uh, uh, graphics. But it was enough to kind of pull you in with the with the snow and the music and the cinematic opening with the credits going as they're climbing up on this hill and getting to where they're going. Um was just really really cool um this game you know you quickly find out just by seeing the fact that they're in mechs in the first uh, town that they go to uh that this setting is more of a steampunk type of deal in contrast to let's say you know final fantasy one which you know and the other ones which felt just more pure straight up fantasy outside of maybe the um the sky ships or uh airships scups <laughs> anyway um so there is uh, an evil empire trying to take over the world led by Kefka, which a lot of people love him. He's, uh, he's a really interesting character. Um, well, he's not the leader at first. There is there is an emperor of the empire. Oh, well, yeah, but you never really see him, and he gets killed. Yeah, you do. I don't remember seeing Because Kefka kills him. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. You don't really... He's not, like, a prominent character. He gets killed pretty quickly, replaced. It's not like you get long monologues with that evil emperor, and he gets established. Um, you see Kefka out there um, setting things up that slow down the, the heroes or you know, doing his thing and laughing the entire time. Yep. <laughs> yeah. No. So he wants to use Esper as a power source, and the lady that they're they're going after, she is one such Esper, um, and and so the story begins. the The story itself, I don't remember the the actual plot being super original as much as how it's pulled off. And I mean, we can go spoilerific here. Obviously, it's the backtrack, but um, geez, I, I hate to spoil this though. If someone actually really hasn't played this gym, if you grew up playing just Final Fantasy okay. VII, which a lot of our gamers have, and you haven't gone back and played six i can't tell you how much you're missing but there is something you, you have played this one right cassandra yes yes very much okay because okay, i'm mean, favorite of mine yeah there's let's just say there's a big event that happens somewhere in the game that totally changes the setting and i'll leave it at that but it's really huge and so here's a little funny side story i finally convinced my wife to play it and those of you who played it before you know what this game changing you know event is and what it does and when you first come across it your jaw kind of hits the ground but my wife stopped playing there because she thought it was the end of the game (laughs) <laughs> and Whoops. and she wow. and she well no no she she could see the end coming and she never even got through the end she never got through that end of that particular uh act of the of the story and so because she felt like it was coming to this conclusion that she wasn't going to enjoy and she felt that was pretty much going to be the end of the game it was going to end on this note so she stopped playing she didn't want to see it come to an end <laughs> then she didn't get to see the scenes with Celis. So, yeah, she, she missed out on quite a bit. I keep telling her, no, go back. No, really, really. You just, I don't want to give it away, but there's, there's more. That's just act one. No, no, go ahead. And yeah, no, yeah, no, no. She just, man. Anywho, but yes, there's, yeah, there's souls. There's a whole bunch of characters. I and mean, we could, we could be here for an hour if we just talked about the, the characters. But this game has 14, uh, you know, characters. Um, I can't remember. Wait, was it 12 and two were kind of optional? I think there were so were for a total of fourteen. I want to say, or was it fourteen plus two? There, there's a total of fourteen. Yeah, fourteen total. Because how many were optional? Three of them are optional. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, 
Mm. So even though one of them's on the box, so that's a really odd character to have be optional. <laughs> I think what's really cool is that this game had so many characters, and yet I cared about each each and every single one of them. You know, almost all of them had a very significant reason that they hated the Empire, Kefka. Um, they all had a story. You cared about them, and when you got to the end of the game, you got to see what happened with each one of them. The game itself, the ending was twenty minutes long, and as I said before, I teared up during that ending. And uh, um, and 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 you, the music that plays it combines all their theme music. Each one has a distinct theme song, and it kind of combines those all together in an orchestraic um, collage. And it, it's just so moving when you've put in all this time. You got to know these characters, and you see how they all wrap up and how they move on after these events. It, it's just so well done. It's just such a brings a tear to my. Honestly, those of you who you think Final Fantasy Seven is the bomb, and that's all you played. Uh, <laughs> You just you just have no idea. You just you just have no clue. Seven contrasting seven with this one. It's just it's not it, it, it's not even a competition. Seven's not even the class of this. Woohoo! It's got 3D graphics. Yeah, those were cool the first few times you saw summons, and it had a story that made no sense because of the bad translation. This game. Decent translation. At least I could figure out the story and the plot, and I cared about the characters and the dialogue. It was interesting, and it pulls Ted, you in. Ted Woolsey gets some flack, but you know what? He did a pretty good job with this game. Oh man, and, and you know this is this, there's no voice acting here. We talk about nowadays how voice acting is almost a required component to pull people, you know, into what's going on in RPGs. I didn't have any voice acting with this. Didn't didn't really care because I because voice acting can also repel people when they go stop yammering about this. I want to. Skip through this already. Or when they have awkward fake laughing. Awkward fake laughing. Oh, yeah. Dodge, stop that. That was wrong. Um, when that game came out, now it came out, so I was at 94, I was working at probably Taco Bell or Warehouse. Either way, I was making a whopping $4 an hour. And the cartridge was 60 or 70 bucks brand new. I know it was like 10 or 20 bucks higher than the typical new game because it was a super cartridge with extra memory and everything like that. But, you know, I, I just had to have it. So I really, really saved and it cost me a lot of money. Um, I mean, I, I must have worked almost a whole week just to buy this one game and and you know what it was absolutely positively worth and and just oh my gosh just mind blowing so yeah critical received critical claim the whole nine yards but um uh yeah you have to you have to go you have to play it um go back and play it. you can play it on your game boy advance there is a game boy which would work on your old D, older uh ds lights uh but there is a there is the game boy advance version which um I which think is pretty, pretty, right now. pretty good I still have it, so that's good. It's how I played this game. There is the PlayStation First. version. You, you probably don't want it. No, you don't no, want that. You don't want Unless that. you want load times for a Super <laughs> Nintendo game. Yeah. That, I don't understand what it is. They did, it was the same problem with Ogre Battle and stuff, and we talked about that a, a couple of dozen shows ago. Drove me crazy how you're playing a Super Nintendo game, and every time you got into a battle, it's like, please wait, loading. And you're like, what the <laughs> hell? It's a Super Nintendo emulated game. You can't stick that into your memory or something? Really? Yeah, yeah. And I think there was, I can't remember if it was this one or the uh, Final Fantasy 3-4 combo or 2-3 uh, combo, whatever it was, but one of those Final Fantasy compilations on the PlayStation had save issues. So I can't remember if it was this one or the other one. So yeah, I think, I think it was this one because that was supposed to be cleared up for 
the one which put Chrono Trigger with Final Fantasy IV. Oh, right, right. So, yeah, really, guys, don't do not do that to yourselves. Game Boy Advance it, DS it, or or uh, you can always do... Uh, did they virtual console this guy? Yes. Yay, yes. virtual console. Oh, virtual console, the big screen. Okay, the pixels might be a it's, bit it much. Still has, it's called Final Fantasy III, of course, but it's on there. Oh, okay, cool beans. So, virtual... Well, yeah, it's, it's emulation of the Super Nintendo release, so... Yep. Ooh. And and you played it on you played it on the DS, uh, Cassandra, or the Game Boy Advance? G- well, G- well, there is no DS version, the GBA. But, I mean, you oh, stick yeah. it in the Game Boy slot, or did you? I think at the time I did. I have a DS at the time. I think I had a DS at the time, so I probably played it on there. And I, I know I played some of it on the um, GameCube uh, Game Boy players to sort of emulate, mm. play, uh, you know, the SNES experience, mm-hmm. sort of. There was there was one part of the localization that really disturbed me uh, that I found out later on through a little internet research is that the graphics in the North America releases were were edited to cover up you know instances of nudity. You know I want to experience my Final Fantasy with full nudity. Thank you very much. Um, you know where there's some. I think that was for a couple of the summons. summons yeah, I was about to say espers. the summons, the espers. I want to see her bottom, dang man. But I paid a lot of money for that bottom. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, bottom or no bottom. It's a really, really super, super, you know, awesome game that is still sticks in my mind to this day. I can still listen. Well, well you know, Tara is naked when she morphs. Yeah, she she does, but she's all of you know twelve, you know, twelve pixels high or something like that. So it's and glowing and glowing the whole time. So, um, but uh, there was a few of us who had a crush on her. No, ju- I'm just kidding. All right. Um, <laughs> oh, but you, uh, the battle, so the battle system, so this is your typical JRPG, enemies are on one side, you're on the other side, uh, active turn, uh, time-based battle, a little bar fills up, you gotta put in your command, you can set the, in the options to where it pauses while you figure out your command, or you can keep things going, which is what I tend to do, um, and what they did was they give each one of them some sort of, I don't think it's a limit break or something, but uh, there was generally each one has some sort of special power attack uh, attributed to them. Uh, like, you know, the, the before mentioned Terra, who's the Esper, could uh, ask, activate her Esper form where she would essentially do double damage with magic attacks. Um And uh, I want to say it was, was it Edgar who had all the invention machines? Yep. Yeah, so he could pick. And one of them, I can't remember his name, The uh, his brother, the fighter, who had, like, Street Fighter-like commands. Sabin? Sabin, yeah. And you would do, like, down left button, you know, like you would, like, a quarter circle punch. Yeah, that was pretty funny. But each one of them had their kind of their thing. And if you weren't into, like, quarter circle punch, because not everybody likes those Street Fighter commands, well, then you'd pick other characters. And they also, you could equip the, you could equip the espers and level them... Was it? Oh, you learn magic as the as, so as you equipped an Esper. If I, gosh, I'm going off a of memory from game from 20 years ago. So you guys who've played it more recently can tell me if I'm wrong. But you equip the Esper, and as you use the Esper more, you learn the spells from the Esper. As you as you go into battles with it. Yeah, as you go into battles, gradually teach you the spells. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at, at a at a variety of rates. And of course, the Ragnarok one that teaches you Ultima at the rate of one. Well, that's the greatest spell in the game, right? And that was kind of cool because you could kind of you could really customize your party the way you want. Obviously, you probably want to put your more offensive spells on the Terras of the world who had high magic power, so that you would get more mileage out of those. Whereas I I would take the lower magic people and have them learn the buffing spells because you know a spell that gives you multiple like a mirror image spell. I forget what that was called there. Uh, uh, but it didn't matter what my magic power was. It was going to make three images of me that the enemies would accidentally attack. So 
Yeah, you could you could strategize and figure out, plan out who's going to learn what spells um, and what was their role going to be in your party and plan that accordingly. But, uh, I mean, theoretically, if you grinded enough, every character could just about learn every spell, I'm sure. With the, with yeah, and I generally did that because there are several easy spots where you can do that. Uh, Zozo comes to mind. The enemies don't get any stronger there, so you can just get into a whole bunch of fights. And That was really good for uh, dealing with the cursed shield, as I recall. And then there was... To, oh, go ahead. You have to get into 250 foot... 255 fights to undo the curse on the shield when it becomes the paladin shield and also teaches you ultima and and, and the yeah the battle system was was pretty compelling but it's kind of what they did with the setting and the different dungeons and stuff that you went into was was super compelling as well there's one tower where i believe you can only use magic and i just stumbled across it, it isn't a very open in game but there's definitely some optional things you can do there and i just stumbled across a tower didn't have an faq back in those days didn't have any of that and you just like okay how can i get in this thing um and that was super cool i remember that to this day one of the really really cool things about this game is that there's several instances including the final dungeon where you actually use the whole party so a lot of these jrpgs where you have more than three or four party members, you might be able to swap them out between fights or something along those lines. And then you're always wondering, should I level them all evenly? Am I really going to use them at the end? Uh, You know, so you get a little paranoid because there are games that force you occasionally to use all characters at the end, but a lot of them don't. So if you get to the end and it turns out you only needed one party to to get through the last dungeon and beat the the bad guy, then okay, well, I rotated out and wasted my time leveling up those other eight people for nothing. I could have just focused on one party and got through this game a lot faster. Final Fantasy 3 slash 6, whatever you want to call it, doesn't let you down there because when you get to the end, uh, there there is that, that final dungeon. We'll have you using all 12 people split up as three different parties who have to be in different parts of the dungeon throwing switches to let out their party members through. And when you get into the final battle, it's a multi-stage fight, which may or may not involve all 12 people in your party, depending on who survives yeah, or not. Anybody who gets downed gets replaced in the next phase. Yeah, in the next phase within that one battle, which is really cool. So it is worth it to level up and pay attention to all your characters in this game it actually pays off and i love i love that aspect to it while jrpgs generally don't involve a lot of thought or or strategy strategizing your growth of your characters and who is going to work together with whom it would really pay off when you got to the the final uh dungeon and some of the other areas as well so they did they just really really thought this out pretty well from top to bottom just just did a really good job bring tear to my eye at the end such a tearful story so go and check it out. Go go find a way to play it. Still plenty of ways to play it. Go do it right now. And, and the ending was entirely text-free. They managed to convey all of that with the sprites. Oh, you know, I didn't even think of that. All I know is it was I, – and I only know – I mean it, it just – it was it was a lot longer than your typical ending. I remember that from memory, and I remember you know I remember it being very moving. And then later on, when I got access to the internet, I downloaded the soundtrack, and one of those soundtrack titles was the ending. And I played it, and I remember, yeah, this is definitely the ending song. And it was surprised me that it was twenty minutes long, and I didn't realize that the ending was a full twenty minutes um, at the time when I was watching it because I was just so you know and enveloped in it that i just lost track of time but yeah it's it's a really really great soundtrack that i i love to listen to to this day i can't say that by you know about a lot of the you know titles of that era and before but that one is definitely 
awesome to listen to. And the game is just excels in so many different areas. It, it, it's just it's on. Awesome. And it to, to me, this tip this typifies what is good in my opinion about JRPGs. What makes them stand apart from you know Western RPGs and especially the whole move to uh, we have these days to first person open world Skyrim type RPGs. And I'm not saying those are evil. God, if that's what you love, you God bless you. Have fun with that. But but the the JRPGs. Why do we love them? Uh, why do we keep going back to them? Why do they keep popping up? This this game was to me. It still is the absolute embodiment of it. It's the experience of the, uh, that draws you into the. St- the, the story and the characters uh, rather than through open world and building your own party whatever have you it's it's about you know the art and the music and the good writing and the characters and the dialogue just top notch coming together to give you an experience that you can't get simply by reading a book or watching a movie because it's it's all these elements combined together in the gameplay format and, and it just came together to form this perfect beautiful thing each of these elements by themselves are really well done put it together and you have something that you're not going to get anywhere else so praise to my go and play it now awesome stuff and well balanced too i i balance i'm very sensitive about my balance issues as these guys know for listening to me gripe about fire in the background um i i can't stand games that are too easy and put me to sleep i can't stand games that difficulty level spike or they do cheap tricks to kill off players to give themselves an artificial flavor of feeling hard really don't remember running into those issues here played through it played through it without an faq or a hint book and this is back in yeah this is definitely back in the day i didn't even have a good network of friends to call up and ask for help uh, and i tore through it in like a few days i I just couldn't stop i wanted to see what's going to happen next just didn't want just didn't let me go good stuff okay let's move on enough of me talking what about you cassandra what's your favorite game of all time uh well if i had to pick one that would be tales of symphonia for the gamecube i got this that was released back in 2004 i think it was july at some point don't really have the exact date on me i was i learned about this game through nintendo power initially and it, it looked a good thing at the time, because even still now a bit, but like back then as a teenager, I was really into anime, and it, it looked like a playable anime. And it just, this, you know, it was an RPG, which I was already getting into at the time and really enjoyed. And I wanted to play this game, even though I never played a Tales game before. I doubt a few people did, unless they played the ones that were placed, released on the uh, PlayStation 1 back in the day. Um, when I finally got it, it was just absolutely phenomenal at, to me. Um, and you... The game uses uh, these really charming cel-shaded graphics. All the characters look, are, you know, they're chipified, they're small, they've got large heads, big eyes. And, I mean, it's, it's cute looking. It's some, it's some of the, the later games have done that better without making the characters look all chibi. But in any case, and the, uh, the characters are absolutely phenomenal. They're some of my most favorites of any game ever, just in terms of personality, their backstory, um, the, the writing about, like, uh, the way they talk, their... Um, they're just, you know, they're absolutely fine. And the way they fight, too, is most of them anyway. A couple of them I kind of wish could hold their own a bit more in fights. I'm looking at you, Sheena. But otherwise, most of them are absolutely fun to use in battle. Not just to use in your party, but to actually... You can control them um, if you wanted to instead of just using the main character, Lloyd. Uh, the story is, although not exactly what you call original, it starts off being extremely cliched, and then there's a big plot twist by that, that halfway point, and then it gets slightly less cliched, but it still, you know, it, it still holds your own. It's still pretty darn good. It, and again, what really brings this story to life are the characters. Um, what else can I speak about? I'm just kind of rambling here, I think. 
the the, the battle system, although again later ga- Tales games have sort of tweaked it and perfected it. It's um you know it, it's you know it goes into a separate menu, but the battles themselves are in real time. You control again one character. Although being a GameCube game, you can have up to three human players control the other characters fighting. I usually had my sister every time so often a, fr- a few friends would just play into battles for the heck of it. And that was pretty fun, although kind of annoying because the camera always focused on player one. So you had so players two through four had to play on that same screen wherever that character was or else they'd literally be off screen. You have no idea what they were doing. Um, and yeah, real time you use techniques. Uh, the the map to the uh the beat what was it they map to the B button I think and sorry it's like how did that work exactly well either way that was pretty fun um it had lot lots of voice acting and really good voice acting the script itself is I wouldn't say it's it's definitely not bad but it somewhat pales in comparison to later games in the series even Symphonia's own sequel Dawn of the New Tales of Symphonia Dawn of the New World on the on the Wii but it's still pretty good it'll still hold your own. And um, the music is, while I wouldn't say it's absolutely fantastic, it's Motoi Sakuraba, and it's Motoi Sakuraba, like, being his most Sakuraba-ish. It's just, you heard, you hear this, you heard some of his music, you hear it everywhere, but there are some really good songs on there. And it's it'll stick in your head, it fits the game. And, uh, again, if I had something more structured, I, but I could probably ramble for this game forever. Um, it's absolutely fantastic. It doesn't really excel in any one area, except for, again, maybe the characters. But even then, there are certain individuals in other games that are just somewhat better than... Even so, it's just it's the sum of its parts. Just, you know, pretty good story, pretty decent localization, really good voice acting, decent enough music, and, you know, a very fun battle system. Just all of it, all together. It, 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 um, it's absolutely fantastic, very much so. Anybody else played it? <laughs> Hmm. I haven't got to it yet. It's in the backlog. I, sus- I suspect Mr. Apps has. Not completely. Ah. But maybe we should bump it up now on the backlog. Say, <laughs> back up it. Well, might as well just wait for the HD version at this point. Uh, that's yes, true. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That. Yeah, I mean, sure, there's a GameCube version. I don't know how. I, I think it's not too expensive on Amazon these days. But yeah, there's an HD version coming out soon, and along packaged along with its Wii sequel. So might as well pick that up. Yeah, since Namco Bandai has actually announced that it will come here, right? Mm-hmm. That's unusual. Hmm. How about you, Mr. Apps? Well, you kind of took mine, so I'll give you another one from my top five. <laughs> and it's a recent addition in Dark Souls. Oh, you're, you're uh, right. At, at first, that's what we were talking about, how awesome those first-person RPGs are. Action RPG a- for the win! This is a third-person RPG. Yeah, it's all the same thing. And it is nothing like that uh, Skyrim with its boring combat. Because <laughs> this game is all about fantastic combat and a Metroid-like structure to exploring the world with plenty of secrets, tons of different weapons. Um, not much in the way of story, um, but enough to keep you going. And challenging bosses, uh, challenging in general. Uh, excellent new game plus structure. Uh a bunch of different ways to uh, advance your characters, uh, multiple different kinds of spells. It's just a brilliant, brilliant action RPG that I dumped like 130 hours into, about four playthroughs, uh, and I'm definitely nowhere near done enjoying that game. So, um, yeah. Did you say Dark Souls or Dark something else? Dark Souls. Dark Souls. And that's... Not, not dark, not... Not something else dark and then an S-word. Dark souls. Let's be very clear here. You know, because I get confused easily. I know. It it really doesn't take much. 
let me just take a look here. Uh, da, 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 Dark Souls. So that was that. That's the sequel, or is that the prequel? That is the spiritual successor to Demon Souls. Demon Souls. Souls. Okay. Not like as much. Okay, which I'm still playing. Demon Souls. Okay, I'm just making. I, I like Demon Souls so far. It, it's just very. It's definitely one of those patient games, though. Holy cow! You get a little bit impatient with it. It's gonna take you to the clean. But I have heard yeah, that this one's uh, better. Yeah, depending on our taste, yes. Um, you, it's definitely a game we're going to die a lot in, and I, I feel like it doesn't quite punish you as much as the original game. Uh, death is more of a learning experience, and, you know, saying, okay, I can't do that against this boss, or, you know, all right, you know, that's where this set of monsters are. You know, it's, it's just, you know, l- Dark Souls is about learning its world and trying to figure out, you know, how everything works, what you can do, uh enemy weaknesses, things like that. And obviously, you know, the element of players leaving notes for each other is is pretty huge. Uh, Almost like a built-in, you know, help system. Uh, You know, occasionally you'll see a player leaving a note that's misleading. But, I mean, for the most part, you know, players leave, you know, uh, messages pointing to hidden... hidden, uh, hidden doorways, uh, treasure chests up ahead, um, you know, messages in front of uh, treasure chests that are actually mimics, which are scary as all hell, and, you know, things like that. So, uh, I just, to me, it, Dark Souls is just like the pinnacle of action RPGs, and uh, I, I really have high hopes for the sequel that are probably impossible to reach, but... Yeah, that's that's a game that was just so good that it was impossible not to add it eventually add it onto my top five because uh, I mean, like I said, I played it through uh, two new game pluses uh, and then a new game with a different character. Um, played through all of the DLC, which was fantastic, and you know, it, it's not like some games where the thought of going back into it again is like, oh well, I already put enough into that. You know, no, you know, I am absolutely up for playing through this game again at any time and it's just uh i have not played an action rpg quite like dark souls now if you know a big part of that game is its online component what if uh what if somebody doesn't have uh, online connectivity is it still Um, compelling i would argue that the online is not necessarily a big part of it Mm. uh the core game is brilliant you know the online features are nice um but the, there can also be a double-edged sword where you know you'll just get invaded by someone and who is you know just practiced in invading and killing people and whereas you're all set for gear to fight a boss or something and they've got like very light gear and just can step behind you and backstab you you know it's just um the online isn't uh it, it it's perfectly fine without the online. I mean, unlike Demon Souls, where you know you kind of there's kind of two modes. You're either like in soul form or alive, and whenever you're in the alive mode, you have your full health. But that's also when you can be invaded. Uh, in Dark Souls, uh, you kind of choose uh, when you want to go into this human form, which uh, has some other benefits, but it's nothing like Demon Souls. So you can basically, for the most part, choose to ignore that whole online aspect outside of the messages, um, except when you want to take advantage of it. So it's not... 
it's it wouldn't be incredibly awful without the online. And there's even like AI companions you can summon to help you against some of the bosses, and even a few AI enemies that invade. So uh, it, it seems like they were more cognizant of the possibility of you know the game being without the server. So even without the online, my opinion of it wouldn't change, except for the fact that uh, some of the bosses I usually summon help for would be a lot harder. Okay. Hmm. Alright. Well, that's pretty cool. Everybody needs to go and play that. That's actually very good. No yeah, matter what Nap uh, says. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's on PC, so you know, they, no excuses for not playing it if you're not a console gamer. If you, yeah, have, if you have both PC and, the, <laughs> and both consoles, which one's the best one to play? Um, uh, probably PC, because I think it'll look better on there. Uh, not off the bat, but I think people have uh, figured out some ways to tweak the settings uh, to get it to look really nice running on a PC. I think there's some issues with the online there. Um, uh, probably people hacking and using doing bad stuff related to PvP, so that would be my only worry there. But for the most part, the PC is probably a great way to play, and it's probably also the pretty cheap not that the other versions are cheap if you know i see the 316 ps3 versions for under 20 bucks by this point so um yeah it's cheap it's awesome and i highly recommend it over um Bethesda's giant buggy nonsense <laughs> did they ever patch that game up and get rid of those bugs probably eventually <laughs> eventually one day assuming that assuming that new bugs didn't prop up in their turn it took a long time for the ps3 version of that to get patched as much as it needed to be oh and the ps3 I, oh my gosh yeah i, yeah, heard about I was the really burnt i was very burnt by the ps3 version of skyrim and um yeah not to mention that, that i didn't really like the game all that much anyway uh, adding all the bugs in on top of it didn't help. I can't imagine it would. No. So yeah, Dark so Souls. Does that, mean, does that mean you will not be signing on day one for Elder Scrolls Six whenever that comes out? Uh, dear God, no. What about what about what about I, Elder Scrolls will... Online? <laughs> no. Because oh. <laughs> you know that's uh, what I that's you. what I've been demanding. You know, being able to play you know Elder Scrolls without some other people and pay fifteen dollars a month doing it. I think I've run into bug issues with almost every Bethesda product I've bought the past few years. Uh, so I'm not quite sure what is going on with their quality control. I ran into a few with KOTOR 2, and that is the only Bethesda game I know I've played. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, I, I mean, I remember I remember playing, like, what was it? A, not the Arena, but the one right after that, Daggerdale. And oh my gosh, it was just so much. Oh yeah, you could find so many bugs with that. It wasn't even funny. It's kind of like the middle yeah, game, I mean, but it's always excuse. Well, it's open world. It, it's randomized. <laughs> of course, it's buggy. I mean, that's an excuse to some extent, but uh, some of the stuff is just really bad. Like, um, uh, if you compare the PS3 version to 360 version of Skyrim when it first came out, it's almost criminal that they even released the the thing. Right. I mean, it was that bad. And um, I've heard plenty of people have problems with the other versions as well. So, I mean, I, under I understand it's a big open world game and there's going to be, you know, some issues that you can't even anticipate. Um, 
uh, but yeah, there's got to be more you can do, really. Ah, cool. So, cool. Go out and check it. Yeah, Skyrim. So, well, I mean, people like Dark Souls, pe- not, Dark buggy. Souls not not buggy. Skyrim buggy, but but people love Skyrim because it's an open world game. You can go anywhere. You can do anything. It's deep. You can craft. You can fight. You can cast magic. You've got guilds. It's it, it, the whole world is your oyster. People are people are throwing themselves down at the altar called open world. You 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 put out a game and you say open world and people start salivating and foaming at the mouth saying give me give me give me Elder Scroll. In fact in fact they're, they're, they're demanding their demand is so high that for Elder Scrolls Online they're they're still they're they're coming out with the pay to subscribe thing that hasn't been you know big for years you know no one's coming out with mmos these days that you know charge 15 bucks a month unless of course you've got elder scrolls open world on the you know gameplay on the box oh my gosh we we could charge 40 bucks a month for that right but but yeah but you know people are acting like this is such an awesome and new thing they're acting like this is just so cool and so you know mind-blowing well you know what guys boys and girls you don't have to wait for Elder Scrolls Online to pay money every month to experience awesome open world gaming. I promise you all in the last few um, RPG backtracks that I was working on a special project for this 100th episode. And it is now time to bring that fruit to the stand. It is now time to reveal the man behind the curtain and tell you that I have found the next best awesome RPG. You guys should stop whatever the hell you're doing right now and go to this game right now because it's open world. It's awesome. It's Skyrim before Skyrim even knew it was Skyrim. It's Elder Scrolls Online. It's already out now and it's already got all the bugs worked out of it. You don't even have to, you know, you go on and you buy Elder Scrolls and it's going to be buggy. Forget that. This game, it's been out for years. All the bugs? Uh, yeah, pretty much. 99.9% of all the ones you care about. <laughs> they're all gone. They've been squished. This, this game's older than your grandmama. I can only EverQuest ever very close, very close. But no, nah, oh, no, I am oh, talking. That one. I am talking about that one. I am talking about Ultima Online, developed by Origin Systems and Electronic Arts, published by EA. This was released in North America on September the twenty fourth, nineteen ninety seven. A massively multiplayer online RPG experience for your PC computer. And I'm just telling you guys, this this game kicks butt. I mean, I'm I'm playing it, and you know, I'm remembering some forum threads I read when I was playing this. Uh, I was remembering forum threads I read where people were saying, "Man, we wish our games were more open ended." Oh man, I love Skyrim. How it lets you just do anything you want, and you can do this and you can do this. And people were complaining. I mean, people were complaining about how World of Warcraft. It feels like you're on this roller coaster that's on this track because you go, you have to go to this low land, to this land, to this land, to this land. There's a storyline. Every time you go to a new land, there's a quest chain, and it feels so constrained. Well, uh, you know, when you're working your way up the uh, various professions it, it pretty much goes in one direction man you need to play ultimate online man this, this game's so open it's not even funny you can go wherever the hell you want you'll die quickly but you can go wherever you want it's, it's not a problem there's there's no zones by levels oh no 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 you can walk right out of your newbie town and oh hey there's a cave of spiders over there they look cute i know how to do a firebolt spell let me go take those oh i just, what the hell happened see that's the open world you've been looking for boys and girls it is right here it's got crafting like you wouldn't believe the crafting systems in this game are so deep and so complicated you got to go to cornell university to figure this crap out 
You, you gotta you gotta start building a database or a spreadsheet or something because you've got systems upon systems you want player driven economy this game has it the vendors in this game are practically you know worthless they they they, they do a few things for you but it isn't like world of warcraft where you just you know you, you find some gray crap you go to the vendor every once in a while clean out your gray crap and you sell it now th- these these guys first of all if you got armor you try to sell your your stuff to the tailor he doesn't want your armor he, he only does cloth stuff it's realistic you know boy you just you're real like you feel pulled in because you're right not every vendor wants my piece of gray crap you know you're tired of games holding you by the hand with little explanation marks that come up like the little clippy from office you know microsoft office that says hey would you like help this you ain't gotta worry about an ultima because ain't nothing gonna help you on that game you like log in and stuff and you're like what the hell am i doing here there's a five ten minute tutorial and it's like trying to teach a spanish person how to speak english in 10 minutes it is really, that's what that tutorial does for you. It teaches you how to move your character from point A to point B. It teaches you nothing about all the subsystems and the and the crafting and all that other bull that you actually need eventually to be successful in this world. It, it's huge. It's a world that is really player driven. Because, um, as I mentioned, those vendors really don't do a whole lot for you. A lot, it's all about crafting your own stuff and and selling and buying your crafted goods or mine goods or whatever have you to other players. And, and you know that auction house you get in World of Warcraft? You just go on there, you look up what you need, and you buy what you want. You ever felt that was a little meta? You always felt that was just a little too convenient, you know? Kind of took you out of the realism. Ultima Online doesn't have any of that bull. Uh-uh. You got to beg people on chat chat. Channels or everyone, you can buy your own house, and this is everything. You can't do that in world. You can buy your own freaking house. You can decorate your own house, which you're gonna build with the stuff you make yourself. I mean, this is like totally open world, boys and girls. You can design that house however you want, assuming you can find a plot to buy. But you you build your house, and you can then uh, lease out vendors or or hire hirelings who will sell your crap at the front of your house, so other players throughout the course of the week or whatever come by you hope they will come by your house see your vendor and hopefully want to buy what it is he's selling or you can i think you can set him up also to buy stuff for you there is one town where there are a lot of uh npc or uh, npc vendors that are set up by players so in a way they're kind of like remote pc vendors you can go there and find a lot of your trading but it isn't like real worker for you just go to the auction house and you type in wooden planks no 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 in this game you're going from vendor to vendor to vendor till you find one that's looking for your wooden planks that you're trying to sell or you just start talking to the people in your guild. It really feels like you're in this bold and wild frontier and you're just pushed out there and told to, to figure it out. And it's it's so open-ended, it's 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 overwhelming. And, and you can and, and to make it even worse or better, depending on how you look at this, there's there are web pages that explain some of these dependencies and how some of this stuff works. But because the game is so old and and for some reason it's not the top ten of current MMOs that are out there, um <laughs> They're not they're not very up to date or they're not very as deep as they could be. Some of those pages have gone offline, so you don't really ha- and it never reached the the popularity that World of Warcraft or any of those guys did. So it doesn't quite have that de- you know level of of volunteer support who's you know pumping into wiki pages and the such. You really do feel that this is this is something that you're going to have to figure out and you're going to have to really tear into it. You're really going to have to you know talk to people in the world and RP it. You you know, another major complaint, if you're playing World of Warcraft or any of those more modern MMOs, people don't RP anymore. It's all about go, go, go. It's all about leveling up your character as quickly as possible um, and just going through and doing those dungeon runs and the such. In Ultima Online, you find
find out very quickly. This is an old school group, and there's a lot of RPing going on. And uh, yeah, you can you can meta when you need to and raise your hand and say, "Hey guys, can you help explain this to me or something?" It's it's not uh, it's not so archaic uh, that if you mention the word microwave people are booting you off the server but but you will find that there's a lot you know there's a deep thread of rp in the guilds there's a lot of rp and things like that there are guilds just for rping that actually still rp from beginning to end um it's something else the <laughs> but it is not for the faint of heart and it's not for the uh it's not for the people another thing is another thing is with world of warcraft and a lot of those more modern mmos you can pretty much do you can do a lot on your own all world of warcraft has been pushing itself more and more to where it's friendly towards the person who wants to solo a lot. You haven't got to worry about that in Ultima Online because, boy, you will need other people. You'll need other people just to tell you what the hell to do or figure out half this stuff. Um, you'll want to join guilds, and some of those guilds are really, really hard to get into because they're really elitist and high up there, and yeah. It is it, it is really, really – it is a different, different world, and all the complaints I hear from the haters – uh, you know, I put Z's on the end of that of more modern games or uh, the people who are screaming for open-ended games, uh, the good old days, uh, whatever. I'm telling you, it's all there in Ultima. <laughs> Just, it's really funny. It is super, super deep because this game has been expanded on over the years. It's 15, 20 years, wait, 15, 15 years old or so. And... And so they've got like eight expansions and each one, it's kind of like The Sims. If any of y'all have played The Sims, how each expansion of The Sim adds new subsystems to the game. So right now, if you go back and you play The Sims 2 or 3, they're very, and you plugged in all the expansions, they're extremely deep games that, you know, because when you add on expansion, you're not just adding some more content. This content interacts with all the old content to make, uh, make uh, to increase the number of things you can do multiplicatively. So Ultima Online is a lot like that. The crafting options and the armor options and the and the professions and the such combining with the um normal skills and stuff you use for fighting and stuff it's just you can make so many different combinations of characters not even fight that's another thing there's no set classes this isn't this isn't hey i'm gonna make a world of warcraft paladin uh -uh. there's like 50 60 skills like sword play parry uh lumber uh chopping whatever uh singing for a bard uh discord uh, which is one of the types of things that bards can do uh debuffing monsters so to speak there's there's all these different things and you can you can you can mix and match them a lot of people have been upset about I'm, i keep comparing world of warcraft because it's an mmo i know and I, I see all the forum threads but a lot of people complain that world of warcraft has gotten rid of all the talents and made it to where everyone's kind of the same well you know what in this game there is none of that hand holding you've got 60 different skills some of which are clearly designed to work better with other skills than than some of these other ones and there's no hand holding here there's clear once you play the game a lot or you talk to people or you read some forum threads or whatever however you figure this stuff out there's a clear there are clearly optimized ways to make a killer combat character and a killer profession character and things like that and there's other combinations where you'll be completely useless so uh, i'm just saying forget about skyrim the next generation it's all here it's waiting for you open in a gameplay the way you've always wanted it and they're still charging like nine ten bucks a month or something <laughs> people are paying it <laughs> Apparently, if it still hasn't gone away. And, and you know, people leave it and come back. Leave it and come back. Is it's... EverQuest still going? I don't remember. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if Ultima's still going, because Ultima came out before EverQuest, I'm sure. 
wouldn't surprise me. I, I know EverQuest 2 came out, though, so maybe EverQuest 1 went away or maybe it didn't. I mean, the thing about Ultima is that people... You don't need World of Warcraft numbers to be profitable at all. You don't need anything close to that. I mean, you think about it. If you even had, let's say, 10,000 players paying 10,000 bucks a, or paying 10 bucks a month, that's $100,000. It's $1.2 million a year. You know, you hire a couple of guys to keep the server up and running for 40, 50, 60,000 a year. Uh, you know, and you buy a new server every couple of years to keep it running. And I mean, you know, if you're not going to add to the programming, you're not going to, you know, patch it up anymore, but you're just going to leave it running for those few people who, you know, are still playing it. Yeah. You could do it with a thousand, two thousand people. You could still be profitable. So I imagine, you know, 10,000 or 15,000 or 20,000. probably 000. why Final Fantasy 11 is still going. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, that's why these online, some of these online games, that's why it blew my mind that City of Heroes got unplugged because I'm sure sure city of heroes had to have half a million at least it was very very popular um i'll just i ended just like hey we're pulling the plug really you could have just left the servers turned on and collected the monthly fees well they went free to play but they had like monthly there some people still paid monthly for extra perks and stuff um so uh, what else? I could I could be here all day just talking about. I mean, you can you can you can go out fishing on a boat. You can buy your boat. You can go out fishing on the boat. You can attack other ships. Uh, you can you can. Uh, oh my gosh! I mentioned the house already. You can build your own furniture. You can paint your own furniture. You build your own armor. You color your own armor. Uh, just I mean all this. I mean just so much stuff that you'll never even get in World of Warcraft. You know, or more modern RPGs because they're too 3D or they're too you know putting all these extra options in those more complicated 3d games would just be too much uh but here it is just it's almost like the sims meets an mmo where you have to work your way you know work your way up it is very much like the saga series of games where leveling up isn't based on experience points but rather how much you use your skills so the more you use your sword play the more it goes up you want to get your sword play up go hack some monsters you want to get your lumber up go cut some trees um it can be a bit monotonous for that reason, but that that's that that's what's there. The magic system, it, they have regions. I mean, you talk about old school and trying to pull you in. You've got uh, you've got twelve different regions that you use in various combinations to cast the most any of the spells. So if you run out of fireweed or whatever the hell it's called, uh, you're not going to be able to cast fireball spell. And suddenly that spell will go dark for you, and you're like, oh crap, I forgot to buy some more fireweed back in town. Um, you can you can pick your own fireweed with herbalism or whatever it's called, or you can buy from that that that's generally sold by a vendor, or you can buy it from other players. Um, Eventually, they did patch uh, one of the expansions allowed you to be able to make armor that lets you forego uh, using reagents, but it's it's higher tier stuff. Um, I could go on. It's just it's just deep. It's just really really deep. The graphics, the graphics are obviously nothing right home about. Now the original Ultima Online client, which a lot of people still use to this day, it was released in 97, 90, uh, 97. You're talking isometric uh, 2D graphics uh, that were probably at 640 by 40 resolution. Now my wife plays on the classic client. I've seen her play on it, and it only takes up like a quarter of her screen, you know, because it's that low resolution deal. I play the more mod. There's a they release. Uh, they tried to do a 3D client, and that kind of failed. It was in beta for a while, fell flat on its face. People just didn't really like it. Um, 
So uh, I use what's called uh, the new client. I think it's called the modern client or the new client, which is basically very pretty 2D isometric graphics. And I will say, I, I, I've always said we went to 3D too early, you know, back in the, back in the early 2000s, whatever. Um, this is very, very pretty client when you look at it through those lenses. Uh, very, very pretty uh, when you use the more modern client. I show off to my wife and I say, see, look at how my, oh gosh, you got mounts and pets. I forgot that. Yeah, big old mounts and they help you and they fight in battle and stuff. You can, oh gosh, it just goes on and on and on be here all day um yeah it's just it's so crazy crazy deep i I could just a boy i wrote some of it on a blog on on our website i need to write up another one i haven't done one since like the fifth day i played i've been so busy at work i really haven't thought about sitting down and writing some more stuff but just super, super deep. They still charge nine or ten bucks uh, a month. Uh, you have to buy the game, which wasn't too much. So it's the old school charging mentality. You can buy additional stuff to help level your character, get them up to high numbers and all the stats right away. If you don't want to kind of grind through it, but you will definitely need some friends to help you through or get to know people there. You have to be a friendly person. This is an MMO and to the T. And you're not going to get very far if you don't know how to play with other people. <laughs> it is. Not a game to say, yeah, I'm going to go out and solo this. Yay. Yay. You won't get far. Yay. <laughs> so, I mean, you you, pro- you could if you had long enough and you had enough patience. And I do mean a lot of time and patience. You could eventually, you can build your own stable of characters and work all your skills up between your, your stable of characters. But you will eventually at least have to use other players' NPCs to do some of the trading and stuff. Um, but there are definitely that there is that temptation to want to build five different characters who can each take care of different dependencies of each other since no one character can have too many skills. There's a skill cap. Um, you can really only max out six or seven skills of one character and there's over 50 skills and you can only have like seven or eight characters on a server. So uh, yeah, you're kind of tight there. So for those of you looking for open-ended 2D awesomeness, boy, forget Skyrim, forget, forget Elder Scrolls Online and come home. Come home to Ultima Online. <laughs> yeah, you're laughing. Yeah, I'll be seeing you online. Me. Yeah. Don't comment. <laughs> uh, I will. Okay, time for another contest question. Let's liven this up a little bit. And this person will get the Lego Lord of the Rings. And this one's not too hard. Since nobody answered the question that would have gotten it after, after the our, last uh, time the rings episode yeah and and this one this one's not too hard to figure out actually this will just test your your googling skills i'm sure but um ultima online for all of its openness when it comes to i mean it's really kind of a classless game since it's skill based uh you can kind of make a paladin by essentially taking a guy who's got the sword and and the healing skills or whatever have you and bam there's your paladin and such so in my mind it's much more open when it comes to classes than any other mmo that i've played but when it comes to races ultima online is painfully limited all of the classes or all the races they have which are very few in number um look dreadfully the same as well there's the humans self-explanatory at which you get like six different hairstyles to pick from and you're done and maybe like 10 different colors of hair you can get different skin colors as well there's the elves which look exactly like the human when you're looking at the paper doll. Oh my gosh, I forgot to mention how old school this game is. Oh my gosh, there's no mercy. Monster kills you, he steals your gear, boys and girls. There's none of this handholding. You think these uh, modern games are too easy? You need to go play some Ultima Online, let me tell you. That monster kicks your ass, he steals something from you. He's cute. Uh, players can steal something from you if you get killed in PvP. Like, I could talk about this all day. I've put a lot of time into this, I'm telling you. Just, uh, it's awesome. Um... 
Anyways, I've noticed. Con, oh my gosh, yeah, I just, yeah. But it is getting close to like 2 a.m., so. Anyway, so um, contest question. Uh, okay, human, elf, what is the third race that was introduced in one of Ultima Online's not too recent expansions? <laughs> There's a third race added. Uh, you can, uh, this one will take through Twitter. Twitter at JC Servant. Uh, with uh, with something in there about uh, UO, the name of third race, and mention Lord of the Rings Legos. So I guess I won't remember. It's two a.m. Uh, yeah, and um, and uh, and you too can win Legos. I was gonna give you a copy of you know Ultima Online, the Enhanced Client Edition, but yeah, I don't have that on my Steam account. Really need to get rid of these Legos. It's all about the Legos, Minky. You're making me want to have some now. Hmm. We're ready to wrap this okay. up. Okay. Um. Or something else you're thinking of? Do we want to do the standard final lap stuff? We're, we are getting pretty late in the night here. Yeah, we're hitting like three and a half hours, four hours on the recording. Sure, looks like it. But is there anything you want to throw in there, Mike? Uh, you you can expect to see a Sweet Coden Four retroview popping up very soon. I've gotten all 108 stars of Destiny. I will complete the sucker soon. And short and short version, in case you were one of the few one of the few people who had been hiding in a cave for the last 10 years or so, this is not as good as Sweet Coden Two or Three. It's it's fun in spots though. Uh, I I experienced the sensation today of holding a book. A little too long, so that my hand throbbed after I took it away. Which I guess is going to—it's just bound to happen when you pick up a Stephen King book that weighs over a thousand, has over a thousand pages. Which I also haven't done in a while. I can't remember if this happened when I read The Stand because that was a good sixteen years ago. But thanks Stephen King for writing so much in it that my hand throbs when I put the book down. Thanks a lot. And um, that'll do for now, I think. Oh, my stars and garters, I got an update. I've had Strange Journey and Fire Emblem in my DS for a while and um, almost the whole year. And about a month or so ago, I got to a stuck place on both of them. And, and Strange Journey is on Delphinus' fourth floor uh, where you fight that big Asura boss. And then Fire Emblem is that stupid freaking fog of war that keeps killing off my characters. But anyways, um, I just beat the boss for Asura finally on like the eighth attempt. And it's yeah. because my main character, which when your main character dies, is one of those games, it's game over. And usually, that's usually the way I end up dying, is he just gets a, a shot and he hits really hard and kills off the main character. And I've been trying different strategies, elemental weaknesses, that didn't really work, buff and debuff. And finally got lucky with one of them, main character's down 20 hit points, still managed to heal himself, to use some items, and keep on plugging away. Um, and finally took the guy down, and I just went from level 36 to 40. <laughs> Just like, I guess maybe because no one else is there to split the experience with them because they all died. But that was freaking hilarious. So now I've got level 40 main characters. Which means I can make level 40 demons when I combine. But that that's just hilarious. Yeah. Anyway, sorry to get sidetracked. RP Gamer. RPG. Oh, RPG oh. backtrack. I was recently on another podcast, actually, with John Stringer. That You can find that on the Racket Boy site. We just talked about RPGs for a while. Ooh. And I I recorded a quick, not so quick, uh, Pathfinder Society. Is you know, I do Pathfinder Society a lot, uh, RPG, um, pen and paper RPG. And I did a Pathfinder Society update podcast with some of the other regional coordinators. And I'll probably pop that into Twitter or something as a public public for anybody who cares. Um, so if you listen to that, you're interested in Pathfinder Society, I'm happy to help answer questions and stuff. So good old-fashioned pen and paper. Anyways, RPG Backtrack is a production of RPGamer.com, your source for news, reviews and home to the best gaming community on the net 
even after all these years. So, um, yeah, go uh, go check it out. Uh, write your questions and comments on our boards. There's a forum link on the left-hand side there. You can email me, jcservant at rpgamer.com to help shape our future shows or write on those boards. You can also follow us at twitter.com slash rpgamer. Become our biggest fans at facebook.com slash rpgamer. Uh, I can be found at twitter.com slash jcservant as well. As always, listen to our previous podcast as well as our awesome sister show, the RPG Cast, all at rpgamer.com. Gamer.com. On behalf of Mike and, and that other Mike guy who was on and Miss Cassandra, we thank you for listening to the RPG Backtrack. As always, you're the reason we do us do us a, a reason we do this. Please go on iTunes, leave us like 18 stars or something, whatever you're supposed to do on iTunes. Mr. Mike, we're really tired. Put us to bed. In 1992, George Bush was beaten by Bill Clinton in the presidential election. In 1993, Sleepless in Seattle was a hit in the World Trade Center got bombed for the first time. 1994, Stargate came out and Boris Yeltsin got drunk. In 1995, Pauly Shore continued to assault the world and Oasis hit it big. In 1998, Dial-Up was the Norman. Godzilla showed why he's best in Japan. And in each of those years, there was a Shining Force game, which is automatically the highlight when I selectively edit the news like that. <laughs>